0: Tonight's episode of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is brought to you by Drew Estate. Come experience the rebirth of cigars at www.drewestate.com and download the free Drew Diplomat smartphone app today to discover nearby retailers, RSVP to special events, redeem points to win exclusive Drew Estate merchandise, and much, much more. Good evening, brothers and sisters of the leaf. Coming to you live once again from, well, all over the fucking place. It's the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Tonight, the boys congregate via live video. Thanks, coronavirus, you giant asshole. To discuss the 2013 religion run amok film, The Sacrament. While smoking the delicious Jacob's Ladder Brimstone Un Presidente from Southern Draw. Paired with a truly blasphemous amount of craft beers. So sit back, say ten Hail Marys, light them up, and enjoy the show, you filthy sinners.
1: Be
2: one. He'll be
1: one.
2: One with the darkness. One with the darkness. Alright. Well... Boys, it's Sunday night, and I guess this is our big religious episode. See how that works? Uh, We're going to church on sense. church day. We are recording this on a rare uh, Sunday evening, and it uh, just happens to be our, I guess, our our big religion episode. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm a perfect Christian by any means, fellas, but uh, I did spend Almost fifty dollars at Chick Fil A for me and the family last night. So there's that. Okay. Sorry, uh, gay and lesbian friends, but I had to do it. Sometimes you just want you some Chick Fil A. Hey, you know what? When you guys start making some tasty, spicy chicken sandwiches that taste that good, I'll stop going. Then. I do like some waffle fries. Um, I promise. Um, but yes. Um, man the girl took my order uh, and I god, they have a very efficient drive-through system there with all these different workers. And I mean, it's just so well put together. And I couldn't help but thinking that after <laughs> just leaving there, I was like, I might want to get a job there. Like if this podcast thing finally peters out, like it's, it's always on the precipice of, <laughs> of doing, uh, I mean, can you imagine getting personal pleasure from handing a schlub like me some waffle fries? Hey, my pleasure. They that's- don't
1: really get pleasure from that, man. They're just telling you. And that's
3: really—they work really hard there. Are You sure that's something you want to do?
1: Yeah, it's kind of not your thing.
3: I, I mean, the kids—the the kids at the local flower mound one here—they had to hire them to run the DFW airport, man. They're—they're. They're, Directing cars in and out of three Mm. different lanes.
1: I want them to pass out a COVID vaccine.
2: You you get the COVID vaccine to Chick-fil-A, and boom, problem solved. Doctor, I thought you weren't allowed at the Flower Mound one anymore after you said, oh, no, the pleasure's all mine when you went through the drive-thru without your pants on.
3: That didn't happen. Oh, that was Duncanville. That was Duncanville. And it was Captain D's. (laughs) And that that was Captain D's. You're right. Which is why I went there pantsless. Captain D's nuts.
2: Captain D's nuts. That's that was his old nickname in college.
3: <laughs> that was the whole that was the whole reason for being. <laughs>
2: hey, you were a political prisoner, pal.
3: Right? Yeah.
2: Okay. Is it, no, is it just me or is Chick Fil A is there 17 year olds and 87 year olds and nobody in between working there? I think the manager
1: might be. No, the owner, like the franchise owner, might be somewhere in between.
2: But yeah, I think you're kind of right. I think it's just
1: one extreme or the other.
2: Well, I gave the I gave the the 17 year old my name when I paid in the line. Then I get up to the window, and they all got their masks on, and they got these little these little carts with their orders. The other 17 year old girl, because they're much like, the, uh, "Your name, sir?" And I'm like, uh, "Cade." She turns around to the window with this 90 year old. Chicks at the window and she's like, is, uh, Cade's order ready? And she looks at things. Mm-hmm. She's like,
3: tell them to park
2: it. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm as close to them as I am to my screen here. And I was like, I heard you. Like she, she you don't need to tell me. <laughs> she's very, uh, I was like, my pleasure, my pleasure. Tell him to park it. Park it, junior. I, I didn't think that was very Christ-like. Is very abrasive. Um, I still ate it; it was delicious. Uh, so there you have it, folks. We eat at Chick-fil-A, and you woke people out there are just going to have to deal with it.
3: Okay. Or I. Would- I don't really understand why you need to take an aggressive tone. It's just a fast food restaurant that serves. Wonderful uh, waffle fries. Tasty food that's that's, uh, inexpensively priced. I I,
2: I can just see the the woke uh, cancel culture coming after us for eating Chick-fil-A. I've seen the emails, guys, we get. And so help me God, I will cut up your high horse you ride in and dip it in Polynesian dipping sauce. And the four of us will eat that horse.
3: Lightly breaded. With a large sweet tea. And that'll be the end of it. Well now I'm just gonna have to double down on your first mistake. I don't do no Polynesian dipping sauce. That's a personal. I don't choice. really
2: either. Yeah. I, I, I don't either. I, I do the spicy
3: sriracha sauce. It's pretty Actually,
1: good. when it comes to the nuggets, I don't even do any sauce. I'm just straight up bread
3: nuggets. Dude, tut, my man. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So Yaks, they're both weirdos. Uh, I tend not to have sauce either. Your nuggets are good by themselves.
1: They make delicious nuggets.
2: You
3: you you put
2: uh, like mayonnaise on the sandwich.
3: Yeah. Oh no 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 no. Let's go back to the nuggets. Now who's the weirdo? Oh, <laughs> well,
2: you're right. They they stock all those thousands of different types of dipping sauces just for me.
3: You and what? weirdos like
2: know. you. That's why they're Christian.
1: They look out for weirdos like you.
3: You know what? I'm okay with anybody enjoying their nuggets any way they want to.
1: That is true. That is true.
3: I'm not going to get angry at somebody for enjoying their nuggets with or without sauce. That's a that's up to you. Enjoy your. That's food a time.
1: that's a very good example, Doc, and I'm going to follow that example. You're <laughs> okay.
2: You're okay with my lifestyle choices.
3: I'm okay with how you eat your food. Why would I care? I would hope no one would care how I eat my food.
2: What if I told you it's not a lifestyle choice? What if I told you I was born with a thing of spicy sriracha dipping sauce in my hand?
3: I'd say that you have finally slipped into darkness in the Brazos Valley. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: Wait, well, hey, it's enough about chick fil When they want to pay us to talk about them, we'll talk about them.
3: Well, they've already just gotten a free five-minute advertisement, so I'm afraid you're too late. <laughs> uh, uh, Wasn't Slipping into Darkness in the Brazos Valley one of those bad Tarantino knockoff movies from the late 90s? <laughs> it was. I believe, I believe it was also a Coolio song.
1: It was, co-written by uh, Tuttle Tino
2: and Tuttle-o. Tuttle-o. Tuttle, tuttle Tino and Tuttle-o. Uh, <laughs> welcome, everybody, to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club, episode 128. Woot, woot. Woot, woot. It's our first episode in like months without us having to fill the boot of remembrance. So that's cool. Nobody died. Nobody died. Hey, well, oh, I, was, oh, uh, I was trying too much, to. Too much shit, away. I was trying to
1: follow up on some, some production stuff. Uh, is this our first Sunday show?
2: Show done on a Sunday? You know, I uh, the doctor asked me that earlier. I can't imagine it is. Usually towards the end of the year. Um, yeah, we get a little bit crazy, don't we? We, between the holidays and now with your, your college yeah. finals, and we're going to get the shows in when we can. We still put them out on Tuesdays, but we record them whenever the, whenever we can squeeze them in. And, um, okay. And for some reason, uh, I guess it's just their way their manufacturing schedule works. A lot of cigar manufacturers put out their cigars in the last quarter of the year. And if they'd like us to take a look at them, we usually end up getting them, uh, end of October, November. And, if there's some some hot hot new releases, as the kids say, and we want to get them on the show before the end of the year, we really have no choice but to uh, step up our uh, step up our shows a little bit. So, okay. hence, yeah, we're here on a Sunday night, which sucks. I like watching Sunday night football. Um, yeah, especially and, tonight because
1: this looked like a pretty good game.
2: Uh, yeah, Chris and uh, Chris. <laughs> Chris and, yeah, Chris and Al over on the, uh, the Sunday Night Football crew are my favorite uh, by far.
1: Oh, look at David Carr,
2: his shoulders glistening
1: in the Las Vegas. Sun. I guess
2: I guess I could pick up the Chris Collinsworth uh, with the cigar tonight. My God, Al, look at that nine-inch beast. I mean,
3: it's firm. I mean, it's gonna smoke like a champion. I mean, good God, Al. These are serious beer drinkers, Al. I can't imagine there's a liver in good shape amongst the four of them. These guys mean business.
2: <laughs> just look at Cade's shoulders as he puts the pint glass to his mouth. I mean, my God, Al. The guy's got to be a sexual dynamo. <laughs> uh, for you folks that aren't familiar, just watch Sunday Night Football and listen to Chris describe these tight ends.
3: Or anything. <laughs> they, they call, call them have his own variety show. Yeah.
2: Al, they call him a tight end for a reason, if you know what I'm saying. Okay. Anyway, uh, I'm sure uh, there'll be more football. It's Thanksgiving week. We're gonna have lots of football this week.
3: Um, you got 17-14 Raiders at the half. There you go.
2: Uh, thank you for keeping uh, us posted,
3: Donnie. Uh,
2: well, dude, dudes, uh, plural. You dried nugget-eating bastards. Um, what do we do here every week? We uh, we drink some beers that are carefully, cleverly paired with the evening's premium cigar, and all of that, is, it all starts with the film, and I think we've got a doozy for you this evening. Beer, stop cigar. stroking that, Yax. No, no, Can't tell me what to do. <laughs> Look at the way he's working that cigar in his hand, Tut. <laughs> uh, serious stroke action there. <sighs> Beer, cigar, films, you're in the right place if any one of those three interests you. Uh, let's start by telling the audience what we're drinking tonight. I'm actually uh, being a kind of a, a problem child for Yak Boy, who's our resident beer expert. I told him I'm going to be drinking three beers tonight. Not three, like quantity, but three different beers. Um, right. You well, right. mentioned quantity earlier. Like, just, yes. they were so many If they were three, just three beers, they would be, you know, this big. Uh, He said he's not even going to have a chair tonight. He's just sitting on beer. (laughs) Well, my first beer this evening is a special one, and it ties in to the show in a very special way. Um, I am drinking the uh, Yingling Hershey's Chocolate Porter, which for you uh, local Texas listeners know, we, we don't get Yingling in Texas. It is not available to purchase here. Um I was asked in exchange for sending our friend the Rev, huh? Religious episode. Rev. Oh, bringing him Rev. All right. Here we go. If I would send him a 40 ounce giant thing of Whataburger spicy ketchup, because he can't get that up in New York. And, and he likes dipping shit in it because he's normal. Well
3: it's spicy ketchup. ketchup. Can,
1: that's for fries. <laughs>
3: Once again, if you want to choose to, you know, have problems with the way other people eat their food, that's a personal choice, and that's that's okay. If you want to do that, I'm not going to do that.
1: Man, Mincy, uh, you are so enlightened right
3: now. I need to, I need to channel you. It's Thanksgiving week, brother. I'm feeling. I'm glad you're feeling that, Tut. I'm glad. I am, you're, I am. That,
2: you're right. It is And I'm thankful for every single one of you. Well, but. Uh, I had to send him a a 40 ounce of spicy Whataburger ketchup, and he really likes this local grocery store we have down here, H-E-B, The certain uh, Austin blend of coffee. Yeah. So I I sent him uh, some ketchup and coffee, and he sent me four of these uh, these yingling. Dude, the box looked like I'd gotten a a microwave in the mail. These things were so (laughs) well-packed. He was taking no chances. um, So after I... uh, let my my wife drink one, and then uh, Yak is the biggest Yingling fan I know, so I am, I am. I'm gonna pass one along to him. Uh, they, they'll they'll be gone, so I, I'm only gonna get one of these. But uh, I thought I would, because it's our religious episode, and it was a gift from the Rev. I would start off with Yingling's Hershey chocolate porter. Do you know anything about this beer, Yak Boy? Uh, it is relatively new. It is a collaborate. They are using Hershey's chocolate. Uh, Yangling, of course, being the oldest uh, brewery in America, started back in 1829 by David Yangling. uh, Still run today by family members. Uh, Richard Yangling is running it today. Um, Started back in or started in Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So we ourselves have ventured to Pennsylvania. Very pretty country. And we actually uh, briefly interviewed and, and uh, spoke uh, closely with uh, Bob Seaman, the master master brewer, I guess is his title. Uh, really cool guy. He did some seminars at the Pennsylvania Barn Smoker Drew Estate event where he and Willie compared um, the that different was... approaches to beer, uh, coming up with new beers, the brewing side of beers as opposed to the uh, blending side of cigars. It was really one of my favorite little... Um uh the the seminars they offered at the Barn Smokers. And uh he gave us some remember when he gave us those hops that he keeps on oh, his yes. desk and we got back from uh, Pennsylvania and my cargo shorts just I just emptied I had all these hops in my pocket. <laughs> uh oh god, they were just go- smelled gloriously. Um It is indeed uh chocolatey. Uh it smells like a Tootsie roll. I mean it smells exactly like a big ass Tootsie roll. Nice. Um and it's it's got a very definite um Tootsie it's just Tootsie Roll. It's like a it's like a liquid Tootsie roll. Only it's very it's it's it actually does have a little bit of crispness on the front end. It's it's light. It's it's definitely on the porter side as opposed to a stout. It's it feels very uh it's got very light mouthfeel. Does that make sense? It's not thick and it's not thick and syrupy for being so chocolatey. Um uh, the, the aroma it's not and the Hershey's chocolate syrup is what you're saying. It is not Hershey's chocolate syrup. Um, I'm honestly okay with Reb just sent me a couple of these. I'm glad I had one, but I, this isn't something I could drink uh, more than one of in a row by any means. Yeah. Um, Stat-wise, uh, it comes in at 4.7% ABV and low to no IBUs from what they described. So. Yeah, maybe maybe negative IBUs, um, but uh, negative. As, long as, as long as you're on me, Yak Boy, if you want to just go ahead and introduce my, because I'm about to drink it, my follow-up beer, which that one was sent to me by a Rev. This one was made by monks. That is correct, Benedictine monks, Maredsu They're triple, and this one's since this one is the triple triple. Mm. Yes, go on. Uh, the, that one is at, uh, comes in at 10% ABV. The triples always have that higher alcohol content. Uh, very low. It's about 20 IBUs. Uh, Maretsu, the, the, the Abbey itself uh, started back in uh, the 1870s but they didn't actually they licensed the name and and to uh, duvel brewing uh, back in 1963 to begin producing beers under their name using that before had the, the monks themselves the only thing they had made was cheese Maritsu cheese so so tut is pissing all over the monks for selling out even though the money probably went to help orphans <laughs> It's not like they were buying Lamborghinis.
3: (laughs) You don't know that. They might have been driving Lamborghinis. That might be a good point. Monks have to get around town, don't they?
2: So I'm an asshole for using barbecue sauce, but the monks are...
3: I never said you were an asshole. Well, I mean, if you were using the
2: barbecue (laughs) sauce to help orphans... (laughs) I, I think me dipping my nuggets does help orphans. I'll explain it after the show. Of course you will. (laughs) So it's not actually So It's the monk's recipe They just licensed it out to a different brewer No It's not even even a recipe
1: They just licensed their name out
2: Right Uh, Duvel uh, (laughs) They make cheese They don't even make anything No but they did make the beer No they didn't Well typically like the only The monks that are actually brewing beer are Are the Trappist monks So this brewer just wanted to say he had a monk beer, so he went to a monastery and said, hey, can I use the name of your monastery on my beer? Sure. Yes. And in exchange, I will give you money for the name. It's as if some sort of transaction had occurred monetarily. But does it taste good? Oh, you haven't had it yet. I know. I'll I'll keep you posted. Does it taste like cheese? I'll keep you posted. Okay. I I hope not. Uh, Well, it got me. I, I, I I saw it and I, I read the little story and I, I forgot that monks were involved and it's our religious episode, but also Tut drank a triple, uh, I think last episode and it sounded really, really good. And it went really good with a kind of a, a more stronger cigar. And I know this cigar has some strength to it. So I was like, why don't I try to fight it up against a, yeah, do it. Not just a triple, but a triple, triple. Um. So I'll, I'll keep you posted.
1: Yeah, uh, I do oh, like me some triples. I'm a big fan of triples.
2: And because those only come a few in a pack, uh, Yak Boy, my third beer will be the Community Mosaic IPA. Uh, Community of uh, Brewing located in the wonderful city of Dallas, right up there next to the dock. Yeah. Uh, the community a uh, 8.6% uh, 8. ABV, 85 IBU, so this that's is a lightning. This is a fairly popular beer, at least in Texas. Uh, you see it everywhere, but Community, the movie involves these people starting a new community of uh, fellow worshipers, and their fellowship is very strong in their community. It's nice. You've, you've yeah, tied everything all great. together. Everything's there. We'll see how you pairing geniuses do this. All right. Um so there's my beer lineup for this evening. Um, I'm sure they'll all <clears throat> be interesting in their own special ways, much like you guys. Tut's over there rolling is uh, yes, Doctor.
3: Have you had the mosaic before?
2: I ha- I have. Uh, it's been a while. I actually had it on tap um, most recently, and um, I I I think I like it.
3: Okay. I'm curious because they have it in one of my local uh, confectionery shops and I was, I have not tried it myself yet, but was and curious.
2: It's a fairly straightforward uh, IPA as far as the nice, nice strong hops. Yeah. Um, it's got a really nice aroma to it. Um, for crazy, a, no joke. And for, for without being a double, you know, up there in the 8%, uh, yeah, it's good. It's a, it's a really good beer, but like I said, it's one of those ones you kind of see in grocery stores and yeah, it's a, it's a very popular uh, IPA offering. All right. okay. And for good reason, it's it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Yeah, I was Ch- just rolling. I was just
1: rolling my eyes because I've got this big, huge, honking cigar here, that I'm ready to get to. Uh,
2: we'll get to it in a few minutes. Oh, that's why you're rolling your eyes at me and leaning back in your ca- your chair, and look at that. He's been in that pose more than he's been uh, looking at the.
1: <laughs> and now for my fourth beer, I'm going to be bringing up this.
2: No, I'm stopping at three. Actually, I had a fourth, but I want to give you the pleasure. <laughs> that, my that was, pleasure. That was my pleasure. <laughs> All right, what's uh, what's Tut drinking, Yak Boy? Tut is drinking what should be, hopefully, a wonderful Russian Imperial Stout called Slipping Into Darkness. Ooh. Just Q V
3: Simon and Garfunkel. Um, yeah. It is. Hello, uh, darkness. Wait, wait, wait. Do we do we get sued for that? Probably. i come to drink with you again.
2: <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the slipping. This slipping. Actually, there is like a ton of beers out there that actually use that name, <sighs> "Slipping in the Darkness," but this one is brewed. Uh, Brazos Valley Brewing Company. They're located in Brenham, Texas. Started back in 2013. Uh, this, the slipping into darkness, of course, being Russian imperial has, has the stats for it. 10.5% ABV, 45 IBUs. Uh, gets that. Uh, they added, uh, cocoa nibs and the, from the Independence Coffee Company, they used their jet fuel coffee. Oh, wine. that was jet
1: fuel. Okay. That
2: was jet uh, fuel. It, yeah, I've
1: had that, I've had that coffee before.
2: All right. Well. Then you should detect notes of it in your. Yeah,
1: uh, matter of fact, that now that you act, now that you say it, that's it's definitely on the nose, and I can taste a little bit of the cocoa nibs. It's got the chocolatey. It's got it's got a little bit of that maple taste actually comes through, but I bet you that's the cocoa nibs playing with the jet the jet fuel coffee. Well, what was the uh, name of that
2: coffee company, X? Uh Independence Coffee Company, and that's here in Texas, right? Yeah. Yeah, they do a, a laughing donkey blend that's really good too. Um. Jet fuel, laughing donkey. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna add the laughing donkey though. Yeah, it's 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 really good as well. How's yeah. the beer?
1: Um, uh, okay, so uh,
2: you you made yeah. a you made a horrified face when you first took <sighs> a tip out. Of it.
1: <laughs> I think it's one of those things that if you serve it too cold, if you serve it fridge temp, it's got it's just bitter. Mm-hmm. But as it's warming up. It's the flavors are starting to really come out now. That bitterness takes a, a backseat. Uh, the main, the main thing that I was like really kind of a little bit bummed on is that man. When I went to look for, I I chose this mainly for the name and because of the stout. I want I had two things going into the store today. One, I wanted a stout. Nothing else would do. It had to be a stout. Two, it needed to somewhat kind of fit with the show. The guy asked me. I went to a place called the Boutique Bottle here in Cedar Park uh it's all off brand micro stuff and I was like he was like can I help you and I was like well I don't know I'll know it if I see it. Alright here's the thing I'm watching a movie about religion I'm smoking a big religious cigar and then I need a beer that kind of pairs all this stuff. So I don't know. Just let me look to you find it. I found this and he goes well that actually does fit all of those. Um uh, but I was just man I just wanted a stout like I don't need a maple pecan imperial. Stout. I just want a stout. I mean, just black stout. But this is starting to pleasantly surprise me. After that initial, just it was heavy medicinal. There was no flavors. It was just too cold. But as the as the beer started warming up, those flavors started coming out, and you could actually uh, taste the different flavors in there. So I'm begrudgingly happy, and that's right now. That's about the best you can ask for out. Of well, that's it. the best we can ask for with you anytime we
2: hang out. No. All right. Well, someone who's always happy, and I'm always happy to see the doctor. What's he? What's he drinking, Yak Boy? Look at that smile on his face. He is drinking the Axis IPA from Real Ale Brewing. It's another winner. Uh, Good beer. It is. Actually, had their uh, squirt gun. Hey, I did that last show. Yes, you did. And that was also from them, which is basically the squirt gun was based off of the Axis. They use oh, okay. that as the basis for that IPA. Of course, being by Real Ale, they are previously stated located in Blanco, Texas. Started brewing beer back in 1996. So been around for a few years. Serving it up. Should be pretty good. The uh, Axis, of course, is 7%. And 70 IBUs, so it should have a nice little hot bite to it. It is a very straightforward, delicious IPA. You digging it, Don?
3: Yeah. Uh, straightforward, I think, is a good adjective used to describe it. There's nothing that really crazy about it. Um, there is, as the act said, there is a hot bite to it. It's fairly smooth for for 7.1 ABV. Yeah, I didn't realize that it had punched up that much. Yeah, yeah I actually had it before a couple times. Uh,
2: doctor, what was your uh, motivation in picking the Axis for this evening?
3: It was available in the store Okay, moving on uh, yeah. Well, actually, the <laughs> Axis powers were the name given to the evil Nazi Germans and fascist Italians And there is a definite note of evil in tonight's <laughs> <laughs> Good tie
1: Dynamite tie-in, Doctor Thank
2: you. and our our antagonist in tonight's film where evil references the uh the powers the be coming in and uh boy doc i' it's 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 by a thread, but i'm gonna give it to you good job good job. <laughs>
1: Well uh, now, now it makes more sense. You go to an airport, you pound five or six axis, and then Yeah, they're in every airport in the United States. So. I always thought that they were a low that they were low um low alcohol, low octane. So no wonder yeah. by the time I get about four or five of them I'm uh, feeling pretty decent. Yeah. Give a shit if this plane crashes
2: in Lake Michigan. Fuck it. Let's take <laughs> Woo! Off. uh Speaking of crashing and burning, Yak Boy, what are you drinking? I am drinking the Pepperhead IPA from Middleton Brewing,
3: located just
2: outside of Middleton Brewings, located just outside of San Marcos, Texas. Huh? So they started brewing uh, back in uh, 2011.
1: Go Bobcats!
2: Uh, yeah, go Bobcats! Yes, good call, good call. Uh, the I didn't really, in terms of a tie-in, this. Is more like it is a kind of like a jalapeno spicy IPA. And I was really thinking, like, you know, I hadn't really done one before with cigar. I couldn't okay. think if we had ever done one. So I was like, all right, cigar is supposed to I was like, it's gonna be a cigar. Let's try a spicy beer. Yeah. But then I was like kind of enamored because the guy on the bottle is just this like he's mm-hmm. a hot demon. A hop demon. Hop demon. But I was like, after this movie, I was like, this guy's very hypnotic-looking, staring at you with his eyes.
3: Yeah. So. See, don't you think this deer on here is very hypnotic and evil? <laughs> I'm, I,
2: I'm gonna give both you boys a <laughs> a D plus, but uh, but at least at San Angelo State or uh, Stephen F Austin, that's a passing grade. So you guys are okay. Um. Uh, I'll take it. Yax, we were going to do a jalapeno pepper-infused beer. This would have been five years ago. This week, we ventured to TJ's Cigar Lounge, where we uh were hosted by the Roma Craft Boys. It is our first time we ever sat down with them. I got a Facebook reminder that that was this week, five years ago, and then we all went to O'Brien's Irish Pub in downtown Historic Temple, Texas, to continue drinking into the wee hours. But... Todd, if you remember, you were in charge of getting the beers and you were supposed to get the, um, jalapeno infused, uh, who makes the, the Chupa, Chupa Hopra beer, uh, Tex X or what's the, birth? oh, uh, Twisted X. Twisted X. They make a jalapeno infused beer. And I, we were like, Hey, Skip, he's always posting these food pictures with jalapenos all over the place. Let's get that, and then, uh, but we we bought the wrong beer, so we just, <laughs> we just left it in the car because Skip brought 500 other beers. So
1: no, I just remember I think it was like year two. It was the first time we were in uh, RomaCraft HQ. He brought out a jalapeno beer. Uh,
2: that was just tricky. I mean, it was nice. Yeah. I also almost did a spicy beer myself. Yaks uh, Carbach has one called the Hella Chella.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's got a little, it's got a little de- uh, devil on it. But I was like, oh no, Tuttle make fun of me if I do Carbot because they sold out. Um, but then I picked. It turned out I picked the Monk sellout beer. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got made fun of anyway. And that was wrong of me.
1: Uh, according to my mentor, Doc, uh, I should not. Uh, Doc, what what shouldn't I do? Judge others for their decisions.
3: Well, judge others for their eating and drinking decisions. Okay. I, I should mean, not judge
1: others for their eating or drinking decisions.
3: Yeah, that's a good call.
1: I've
2: always lived by that.
3: Not exactly. In fact, um, you judged us this evening for eating dry nuggets.
2: Okay. Uh, Yakboy, how is the beer? It's actually really good. I was I was <laughs> a little concerned, but the the whole pepper thing, because they didn't use just jalapenos. Apparently, they and they used... Several, but they didn't list them. Ghost peppers, were, probably. It's, uh, it has a little bit. You can you can taste uh, just a, like on the backside a little bit of that pepper, but it's not like it. It's really not making the beer spicy in any way. It's okay. Not, it's not giving that. So primarily, well, this, I'm I'm getting a, just a kind of more of a solid IPA flavor. It is a little. I, I it has a good good hop. A little bitterness to it. I like that. Of course the it does say it's supposed to be 70 IBUs, so. Okay. What's the ABV on? Uh, 8%. Okay. So we've got a jalapeno uh, and hot pepper infused beer. We've got a triple-triple, which I actually had to drink a community IPA first to get that chocolate taste out of my mouth before I, <laughs> before I went to the triple-triple. I, I had to kind of cleanse my, my beer palate. Uh, <laughs> with I'll, other I'll, beer. I'll, with some other beer, and I'll go to the triple-triple. And then Tut's got a uh, chocolate nib Heavy stout. And, uh, I can tell you boys already, I've had one of these cigars. I think it can handle, uh, everything we're throwing out. I'm not going to say what my feelings about one or another, but, it, uh, I think, I think we'll be fine with these beers for the most part. Um, I guess I should probably introduce the cigar. Tut's drooling all over it. Tonight's cigar is the Jacob's Ladder Brimstone Um Presidente by Southern Draw. It is as yak you on YouTube can see the cigar just keeps going and going and going up a screen. (laughs) It is our first nine incher on the show. Another one to just keep adding it. Like it would just keep going. Like it is our first nine inch cigar on the show. Uh, nine by 48 to be exact. It is a Pennsylvania broadleaf Maduro wrapper. Can you imagine the size of the leaf to wrap a nine-inch cigar? Uh, uh, also, Pennsylvania Broadleaf Maduro binder. It's got the same uh, wrapper and binder. There but you go. A pure Nicaraguan Lajero filler. Oh, yeah. I will save the price point for last. These are hot off the press. They just hit stores within the last month. Price hey. point, $32 just in material used. <laughs> hey, it's finally price by
1: the inch. Or, I mean, finally, <laughs>
2: Finally, someone makes a cigar that'll last the length of our show. Right when I make an active effort to cut down the cut running down time the of our show. Well, I mean, it's uh, supposed to last, but you know, Tut's going to finish in about 30 minutes. He'll be like, "It was good, but that's it, true. It, it actually does smoke quicker than you uh, would think." But yeah, that totally tracks. The first time we get submitted a nine-inch cigar, and I'm like, "All right, we got to get the show down. Let's." Uh... All right, the unpresidente. Tell me about a- it. It was released just prior to the recent presidential election, which was, what, a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago? We have president yet, guys? No, no. Yes. We have a president-elect? Yes. yes, we have a president. Don't be silly. Uh, but Chief uh, Evangelist Robert Holt of Southern Draw says that was strictly coincidence, the timing of it. It was blended and named to pay tribute to the many Cuban cigars of a similar size. We often see cigars like this uh, referred to as an A by Tola, like the Drew State A and many other A's. But an A uh, technically is nine and a quarter by 47, so this doesn't quite fit the mold of an A.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, And, of course, many Southern draw uh, lines of cigars feature biblical references such as Brimstone, Rose of Sharon, um, in their names, which leads us to the Cedrus. Which leads us uh, to the film selected for tonight's discussion. Uh, it's our religious episode. And damn well, I'm sorry, we darn well better do a religious film. Which we'll do.
1: Yeah, and this I'll, is the one you choose. All right. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you.
2: I, al- I almost went with The Last Temptation of Christ.
1: And then I,
2: I went a different direction.
1: Could have gone with The Greatest Story Ever Told. No, you went a
3: different direction.
2: Is that a movie, The Greatest Story Ever Told? Yes. Is it the
3: from this Judah Ben-Hur? Oh,
2: yeah, Ben-Hur. I've seen Ben-Hur. Yeah,
3: there's also the greatest story ever told. Oh.
2: Well, we could have done ben about Hur. Jesus.
3: Have a cigar to match it now. I mean, hmm.
2: ten-hour movie, ten-hour cigar, possibly. Yeah, I guess we could have. But I, I, I made this decision. I'm going to stand by it.
1: One day uh, you're going to trip my religion nerve, and I'm just going to go straight on Father Tut on you. I'm just – I'll
2: uh,
1: I'll convert you. I'll, I'll get you to see the light. I like said that little
3: collar. Some of us, Tut, already have the light.
2: Ooh, yes, brother. Uh, the doctor has just shown us a, a very well-polished crucifix he wears across his neck. As I said at the beginning of the show, I, while I'm perfect, I do consider myself a Christian. Uh, My intent here tonight is not to um, cast negative aspersions on the Christian religion, or any religion for that matter. It's just to tell you a story about a movie, and about a cigar, and about a beer.
3: We are all but imperfect sinners in the eyes of the Lord, Cade. (laughs)
2: Hey, everyone has to sin a little bit, boys, as long as it's approved by the Cadester, And I approve of everything we do tonight.
3: I don't know about that in the <laughs> scriptures, but all right.
2: Well, it, it, that's a line from tonight's film. Just I, I approve of most everything we do. Well, hey, speaking of booze, because uh, that's what we just got to talk about, do you boys know what my personal favorite form of booze is? What's your favorite form of booze? Guess. Malt liquor. Uh, top five, but you're wrong. Whiskey. More specifically?
3: Bourbon. Doctor knows me.
2: The man knows. Yes, that's right, doctor. It's sweet, delicious, American-made bourbon. And who's one of the most respected, legendary granddaddies of American bourbon, Tut? Pappy Van Winkle. And the cigar wizards over at Drew Estate have partnered up with the Van Winkle family to bring us one of the most unique cigars currently on the market. The Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve Barrel Fermented Cigar is a long filler premium cigar rolled in limited quantities at La Gran Fabrica Drew Estate in Esteli, Nicaragua. Deep barrel fermentation is the key process that makes this expression vastly different from anything else on the market. Hand-selected leaves from where, Tut? We'll keep putting them on the spot. That's right, Kentucky. Are packed into (laughs) small torquettes. Which which means what, Yak Boy? Torquettes? Bundles. Bundles. Which are then loaded strategically into oak bourbon, Tut? Barrels. All right, you're back on track. Waters then added, while mince pressure is applied to the Torquettes via Railroad Jacks. The tobacco is removed two, three times per year, shaken out, then repacked. The total process of fermentation takes 12 to 18 months, leaving a truly unique flavor profile and aroma. The Pappy Van Winkle's Family Reserve Barrel Fermented is now available at brick-and-mortar Drew Diplomat retailers everywhere. Go seek one out. Because once you get that Pappy Van Winkle, you can sit down, you can pour yourself, an IPA or another alcoholic beverage of your choice. You can watch a movie. And as long as you're doing those three things, you're just like the Tuesday night cigar club. Just like us. That makes you one sexy motherfucker. Oh, religious episode. That makes you one sexy son of a gun. Try to watch my language tonight. Why? And if you work out, you will
1: be more healthy than three of us. Not more healthy than Yaks. That dude
2: works out like a mofo. Doctor and I try to keep ourselves... I kind of
3: take a little umbrage at that uh, statement.
2: Okay, so I projected
1: a lot on that. And uh, if you work out, you'd be more healthy than one of us.
3: It's more like it. That's okay, because
1: I'm not going to judge you. I'm I'm just saying, I'm getting a lot of... I'm putting on my winter weight. Mm Mm-hmm. You never know what's gonna happen with this quarantine thing. We might need to store fat for, you know, starvation. I'm ahead of the game. That's I'm true. Of
3: the
2: game. Scarf, yeah. I believe in the Bible they call that gluttony. Uh, eh, maybe. Well, when the apocalypse does come, we now know who will be the fattest among us for cannibalism. That's <laughs> I get I get his meaty little pork chopped eyes. Oh. This I did I did not plan this out at all. Oh, wait, maybe I should stick above the waist just in case things get weird. <laughs> the three of us, hey, after the show, Ted, if you don't mind closing your Zoom window, we got some figuring things out to do.
3: uh uh-uh. uh So, Tut, come on in. This is a safe house. Well, that's fine, but why are you holding a baster? Just come on come over here.
2: And why Why's Kate, why Kate got all
1: that Polynesian dipping sauce? Rev's watching, and I closed out, and I can't remember how to get back to my comments.
3: Hey, you don't have to worry. I'm gonna eat you plain and dry.
2: Yes, please. I mean, I, I think should. I'm gonna dip you in Chick Fil A sauce just out of spite. I think Actually, gonna... if you let
1: if you let Cody and Ryan cook me, I mean, the meat will literally fall off the
3: bones. Yeah. I think you're gonna be delectable enough just the way you are. It's just a love fest in here tonight.
2: <laughs> well, tonight's film as I take my first sip of fake monk blended. Wait a minute, can I, can I light this? Please do. As I introduce this everybody light up. Uh ah
1: let me tell you a little bit about that uh cold draw stuff. Uh you might be doing a little bit of hay, but I as I like to call it alfalfa. And uh you're probably gonna be getting a little bit of hint of tea in there, specifically a little bit of green tea coming through there.
2: I am getting uh, get your alfalfa, and I'm also getting a really rich, chewy sweetness. Um, That's the ginseng from the green tea. It's got mm. a sweetness to it. No, it's that American Pennsylvania tobacco. It's just sweet. (laughs) Sweet like Americans. We can act tough. We can act ballsy. We can act stupid. But in our core, we're a sweet people. Are we? No, we're not.
3: That, but I'm a, I'm a green tea fanatic myself, so I'm interested to hear more about that.
2: Well, Doctor, I would put one of these aside for you, but I just honestly, with the weather coming up, going I can't see you sitting outside for what this is going to take yeah. to smoke. So uh, I guess you could cut it in half, um, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll send you Ooh. some re- reasonably sized cigars. Um, yeah, uh, alfalfa and just a really rich, chewy sweetness, and uh, t- there might be something to your... To your tea theory there. What now, yet? Rev, I am all better. What are you getting, at, Boy? Did you get those same things on the cold draw? I did. I got a little hint of chocolate as well. That could be the cocoa nibs from Tut's beer you're picking up on. <laughs> that that they are mighty. One. They reached through if, Zoom if and slapped you. If anything that I'd be tasting, I would be like, mm, green tea and jalapenos.
3: But I'm not getting that.
2: Man, there's a nice, nice bold spice through the nose. Um, But man, just you guys getting really rich coffee on the draw? Yes.
1: No, I might have picked the wrong beer to try to isolate coffee. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Tasting nothing but coffee.
1: It's weird that you said the bold spice because I don't get the bold spice on the nose. I get a. To me, it's 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 very more moderate. I think it's
2: well. I don't I don't say bold as in uh, it doesn't have that tingling sharp spice, but it mm-hmm. but it's definitely heavy in the nose. Uh, you can yeah. you can feel its okay. presence.
3: Gotcha.
2: Um, but yeah, it's not it's not um like a jalapeno or a, a really sharp crisp uh pepper, but it but it is it it does weigh heavy the, the what spice is there in the nose, but yeah, there's just a really rich coffee and earthiness on the draw. Aroma aroma is wonderful.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the Romeo is definitely nice.
2: Well, boys, we do have a film tonight, so I'm going to tell it you that. And the smoke production is just, the corner of No Hope is just filling with beautiful blue smoke. Tonight's film is The Sacrament, 2013, which is odd. Both the doctor and I, when I picked this film and we talked just, he mentioned my, my selection We're on the phone. We both thought this film was way more recent. I thought it came out like two two years ago, and so did he. Uh, no, this thing's been out for a little while. It is written, directed, and edited by filmmaker Ty West, who previously dabbled in religion-based horror back in 2009 with the fun little flick House of the Devil. I like that one. Did you, Doctor?
3: Very much so, yes.
2: Very low budget. Uh, it starred one of our favorite kind of cult guys, Tom Noonan.
3: As the uh, the leader,
2: he's the wheelchair guy from Heat, uh, okay. who gets all the all the schematics and plans for the bank robberies. He was also the original 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 Hannibal Lecter in uh, Manhunter, and um,
3: he was also the uh, the killer in the uh, Last Action Hero with arms. Correct,
2: correct. He was uh, what was his name in that? Uh, <clears throat> the axe guy or the other yeah, one? Yeah, the axe yeah. guy in the rain in the raincoat. Okay. Um, Ty also this isn't our first experience with Ty West films on the podcast uh, over the last six years we also uh, featured another one of his movies Todd. do you remember what that was
1: no no clue
2: he wrote and directed a movie we featured here on the podcast way back in 2017 on episode 44 the John Travolta Ethan Hawke Western in a Valley of Violence okay we really liked that Western yeah we did um, so that was his too the premise for the sacrament is fairly simple. A news team trails a man as he travels into the world of Eden Parish to find his missing sister, where it becomes apparent that this paradise might not be as it seems. It's a pretty succinct synopsis there. Yeah. Um, I'm going to just dive right into the film. Uh, I shall say I've also dived right into this triple-triple. I said I thought the cigar could handle a lot of flavors, um, and I, I'm not. <laughs> Did you forget what a triple will bring? I'm not backtracking on that. Uh, but this 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 beer really is uh, flavorful. It's got a a very plum heavy kind of dark uh, fruity aroma, uh, but it's also a, a very malt heavy beer, mm-hmm. which I guess is the the trip the way of the the triple. Um, Can be. But boy, it's, it's, there's a, there's actually a little bit of, uh, IBUs on the, on the front end. It just feels like a bunch of dark fruit kind of mashed in with some malts. And, um, it's, it's, it's a strong beer. It's, a, it's, it's kind of a powerhouse, but so far, so good. So I'll, I'll, keep you up to date on that. And we'll get back to the cigar and beer shortly. The sacrifice. Yeah.
1: That, that, I, I get, I get your bold, uh, boldness on on the nose now it's it's cooking now it's actually starting getting a little bit of spice
2: forward on the nose too it takes a little it takes a little while i wonder if that's just burning through that closed foot but probably it's it through yeah it just kind of hangs there in the top of your nose it's nice um well the sacrament gets right to the point please don't let if you watch this film that eli roth presents credit scare you off in any way uh, this is not in any way, shape, or form an Eli Roth film or anything like an Eli Roth film. Um, I will start.
1: disagree
0: a little bit later. Okay, a little bit later.
3: It did, uh, that did make me nervous before I saw it. Um, just because I thought there might be gore for the sake of gore, but Kate told me before I watched it, and uh, it was an apt explanation, and you were correct that uh, don't let that color your thinking. About it in any way, and and whether you like or dislike the movie uh, will have nothing to do with any preconceived notions you have about any Eli, Eli Roth. So.
2: Yeah, Doctor saw Eli Roth's name in the trailer and naturally got a little nervous. We're a little, um, we've been hurt before, <laughs> um, so uh, but I, I I wanted to to kind of let him know that you know at least in my opinion, Tut, um, that should not uh, weigh heavily on your viewing of the film.
3: I thought you were right.
2: Thank you. Uh, so we're immediately introduced to a reporter from Vice Media, Sam Turner, played by one of my favorite working actors. I haven't seen him in a while, A.J. Bowen. Um, for someone I, I say a younger actor, I think he's our age or close to it. Uh, he, he doesn't pop up a lot. We've only seen him, I think, once here on the on the podcast. Uh, he was the government agent's uh, kind of personal assistant in the guest he was the one that was okay. um, the guy it's who was to,
1: since I've seen that
2: the, the guy who was trying to make all the plane arrangements for them to come <sighs> capture the, the David the the guy and he's <laughs> trying to cash in his frequent flyer mile. it was a very small role but he was very uh, he was good at, but he's, he's a he's a really good actor I like AJ bone a lot and his camera operator, Jake Williams, uh, who's convincingly portrayed by filmmaker and sometime actor Joe Swanberg. Uh, Swanberg is one of those guys who rose to fame with the Duplass brothers with the mumblecore movement, which was these really dialogue-heavy, um, kind of fly improv-heavy uh, dram- dramatic films uh, in the early 2000s. Uh so he's a he's a writer director but he he does sometimes act. Those are your two main journalists here, uh Sam and and uh Jake. These two also, I should say, shared screen time together in a highly underrated serial killer flick, 2010's A Horrible Way to Die, which both the doctor and I are huge fans of. AJ Bowen was the the serial killer in that, and it was one of the earliest films from the director of The Guest adam uh, adam wingard so these guys all kind of worked together over the years in some capacity they did the vhs horror anthologies together uh both they'll, they'll take ty west and put him in your next as an actor they'll take uh swanberg behind the camera they just kind of it's just this very friendly community of filmmakers yeah. that, that kind of do a lot of shit together um, there, there
3: is there is a group there, right? With with Wingard as a director and with Ty West and then with with uh, Swanberg and AJ Bowen. Um, I I never saw any of the Mumblecore stuff. Uh, I actually I like I really like AJ Bowen. I like Swanberg uh, as an actor. I, I they also they both both of them shared screen time as you said in Your Next and and with Ty West was in that in a small role. Uh, and I thought they were really good in that. I thought they were good in this. I they were really they were both. Uh, you know, Bowen uh is fantastic in Horrible Way to Die, but Swanberg was really good in that too. He was too. And and okay, I, okay, didn't you actually uh reach out to Bowen after seeing Horrible Way to Die and get a response from him through social media?
2: I did. That was so long ago, but I actually I was so taken by his performance in that, and that was back when I was working on uh a script and I really kind of saw uh something that I thought would be really good for him and uh yeah he was very awesome in uh his you know communication with me and everything we ended up not doing that film but uh i just like the guy on screen i just think i just think he he makes it look effortless when you can tell it's taking a lot of effort if you know what to look for but he just has a very ease easy um the good ones make it look easy
3: Yeah, Yeah. And and, and a horrible way to die. I mean, this doesn't give anything away because it's who the character is in the beginning. He's a serial killer. And uh, he's not like a very big, menacing, scary looking guy, but he really is scary when he needs to be in that film. And obviously he plays a very different role in your next and a very different role here. So the, the dude is uh, a had a different role in, in uh, House of the Devil. He's, he's a really good actor. I've also been very impressed
2: Yeah by that's him. right. He was I forgot he was in House of the Del- Devil. a very small
3: well, I kinda little,
1: I kinda like this troop. I like your next and I like uh the guest, so Oh, and I like the uh, in the Valley of Violence.
2: So yeah. I
1: think we're doing all right.
2: I think so too. Um a lot of these little filmmaking communities Use each other interchangeably, and those all their shit sucks. Uh, these, these guys actually <laughs> these guys actually make a lot of goods, a lot of good things. Yeah. Um, so, so Sam, AJ Bowen, and Jake Joe Swanberg, uh are the reporter and cameraman for Vice Media, which is a real entity uh, based in New York City that is known for covering provocative and controversial stories, usually overlooked by the mainstream media. Or as Tut calls them on Facebook, the lamestream media. That that's not what I call them. The opening. I'm just busting your butt. Of course not. You're you're a reasonable thinking human being. Um, the opening title card also tells us that this new age type of journalism has produced some of today's most compelling and original content in a style often referred to as immersionism. What you, the hell is that? I've never even have, heard that. Often referred to, have any of us ever heard that term?
1: No, and I've even had a media course. Yeah, I had to I had to take a media literacy course this semest- uh two semesters ago. Never heard of it.
3: I I never heard of it either and I think they're using the term to describe something that Hunter Thompson came up with 50 years ago which uh um you know when he first started uh Writing his books like *Hell's Angels* and *Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas*, he, he referred to it as participatory journalism, which is obviously more syllables in it. But it was basically that, like Hunter Thompson did, he immersed, if you will, himself yeah. into it. That it wasn't just—I'm not reporting the story; I'm diving right into it. I'm going to be a character in it.
1: It's a rebranded version of gonzo journalism.
3: Right, that's what it is. Just so he, so so Hunter might have been the first immersionist. Immersion, yeah. um, immersionalist. He just called it participatory journalism and then his touch said gonzo journalism. That makes,
2: yeah. sense. That, that participatory journalism makes a lot of sense, especially when you see what these boys do tonight. Um, the news, the vice news team is gearing up to travel to an unknown foreign land with their friend Patrick, whose long missing and troubled sister Caroline has sent him a letter asking him to come see her. Here's the letter Dear Patrick. Sorry sorry you have not heard from me in so long. I've been working hard with everyone to build a community, like Cade's beer, community, where we can finally live free as God intended. We're not there yet, but we're so close. It's the most beautiful place I've ever been, and I would love if you came to visit. We have so much love here, but I miss your face. Love, Caroline. And there's a phone number. She had been residing at a sober living community in Mississippi, the doctor style, But when he calls to speak with
3: her... (laughs) That's not true at all.
2: (laughs) But when he calls to speak with her, a man tells him over the phone that Caroline has moved out of the country with the rest of the community, and he's told only where to fly into and that a helicopter would be waiting to take Patrick the rest of the way.
1: Yes, he needs to fly into
2: Guyana, South America. So... They don't say where he needs to fly into. That's a a point I want to discuss real quick. So basically, fly to this place, then a helicopter will take you to this other place, and then you can meet her. As Patrick was telling the story at a party in Brooklyn where Vice is is based, his buddies who work at Vice thought it was so vague and mysterious that they just had to, Doctor, participate and tag along to document this bizarre trip. And that's all the info we get as we watch the guys head to the airport. There's a fast-paced song playing. They travel by plane. That America.
1: fast-paced song is called "Heartbeats" by The Knife, and it's a
2: very cool song. You like that song? Well, we I see love him. that song. Within the first two minutes, we see him up in the plane, and we see him in the helicopter. But we literally have no idea: is this Central America? Is it Africa? We have no clue where geographically they're headed. Tut, to, to your point, I think would y'all have liked more info to prepare us, the viewer? for where they're headed or was that enough for you? We're going here, we're going there, we're going there. Could y'all have used just 30 seconds more of like why these journalists would saddle so up. And my know. problem was like, you don't. I was like, you don't travel to a foreign country. You got, well, I mean, obviously if these are journalists and all this, they're going to have a passport, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, you, you got to get plane tickets. You got to have travel plans. You got to Well, know. no, no, no. I got the feeling they knew. Yeah but they never but, told they never told us where they were going exactly i kind of would have liked to have a a little better wrap my head around where is this just just outside is this mexico is it africa how drastic was this community's move to justify these two vice media to like hey we're going along on this i'm i'm of
1: two opinions i think that on one hand the cynic the total cynic in me is like oh no I'm not I'm not buying this. I it just what's the information? You can't just be like, oh, here's a nice little letter, and then a news a professional news team goes, Oh yeah, we gotta go we gotta travel down there and cover this vague ass letter. I would like a little bit more information on that sense. But at the same time, I appreciate that you're boom right in the story. Bam, bam, bam.
3: This is so uh <clears throat> and I don't mean this in any derogatory way, because I enjoy the movie. Obviously uh this is so much based entirely on Jonestown and Jim sure. Jones. Yeah. Made um, the Guiana references is where Jonestown was. So you're right, Kate. It, it would have been it would have been helpful if they said it. I just assumed it was somewhere in South or Central America because of the way that it's all really a, a fictionalized version of Jonestown.
1: Well, see, I didn't know it was Jonestown at this point. I was just. No,
2: no, and and I, and I we have nothing to to go there at this early unless unless you watch the trailer. Yeah, and I didn't. I didn't didn't watch the trailer. So I I just, as a viewer, I could have used, are they going just down to Mexico? Because that's a cheap trip. But if these vice reporters off just that letter alone are going to go to Africa for this story, I would have liked to hear... To me, I, like I said, I think
1: I think looking back at it after seeing the movie, I would like a little bit more information if I'm being critical. But in the moment, I think it was fine because I, it launched right into the thick of the story, and that's what I I mean that's what you want to do. I think.
3: I watched the trailer, and so at, when you watch the trailer, it's obvious that it's it's going to be a, a a Jonestown type story. So I kind of made the South, the South America or Central America Association. I, I do, and, and while I certainly appreciate Cade's efforts to uh, speed things up a little bit, I, I did, I do want to point something out, and I think this is the time to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the great things about any suspense or horror movie, and, and this is one that does that, is to the viewer is when you become – immersed in it yourself to the point that you begin the what would I do situation. Any any really good horror thriller movie does that to the viewer where you're imagining yourself of how am I going to react given what I know. And I mean, we're watching a make-believe movie, but the good ones really make you think about what would I do in these situations. And so there's a point coming up, I don't want to get too far ahead, when I talked to Kate and said, that's where I would have stopped. But after after looking at it here and having some time to think about it and putting us in in the Tuesday Night Cigar Club as a we're the journalists covering the story, and at first I thought the minute I get that letter, even if it obviously they know where they're going, as Kate pointed out, even if it says Mexico or Guatemala or whatever instead of Africa, which is on you know, obviously the other side of the world. Yeah. My after thinking about it, I was like, no, when I originally talked to Kate, I was like, this is where I bail out. And then I was like, no, I'm going to bail out when I get that letter that says you're going to fly here into Guatemala. Just, I'm just throwing that out. And then the helicopter will take you. And then I've had a minute to think about it again. I was like, OK, good. I would have had a couple of days to think about it. So I came up with here's what I would have done. I would have flown there with you. Certainly wouldn't have gotten on the fucking helicopter. I would have said, okay, guys, I'll be back here in 24 hours to get on the helicopter. And I would have gone to the American embassy and then said, (laughs) there's some shit going on. I don't know (laughs) if you know these people are out here. It's very shady. My buddies just went over there. I didn't go with them because there's a chance they're going to get their dicks cut off and eaten. But... I I want Marines on standby as to be going back. And we're
1: and we're getting way into the weeds on this, but I think that if it was similar to the American Embassy back then, back in the Jonestown era, they would have said, "Yes, we know they're a religious commune, uh, a little bit freaky, but we haven't heard anything bad so
2: far." We're really putting the cart ahead of the horse here. We haven't really talked about anything with what's going on here. (laughs) But (laughs) But I could agree
1: with Doc that I was just like, "I ain't getting on that helicopter if you don't tell me
2: where I'm going." I understand that too, but I also – if we're talking about putting all, us in these reporters' shoes, there's certainly no juicy documentary coming from you going to the American embassy and talking to a bunch of suits. No, that's fine. I'm letting
3: you three go out there in a helicopter. <laughs> I'm going to the embassy. Oh, right. You
2: know, my, my other thing was, was like, okay, these are uh. quote-unquote reporters. So – and versus what it is. I mean anything they do is technically going to be investigated. Investigative. Yeah, I, I just don't see any any way they wouldn't go and not go all in because that's what they... Well, I mean, obviously the letter would have come. It would have had stamped. It would have been dated. Something. There was a phone number. Whatever. Yeah. You could look up stuff. You I, could, love this, it. I love how it's not even like five minutes this this into was the movie. This is guess, the modern era. I guess, I guess what, I'm at, what I'm ultimately asking, let me go back ten minutes, is... Is the premise of this strange family reunion, hey, our buddy's sister moved off with a bunch of religious types out of the country, is that reason enough alone for two respected journalists who work for a respected journalistic agency to pack up their bags and go with them on the slim chance that it's not just a bunch of uh, weirdos living in the woods, and maybe there's something here.
1: Well, I'll tell you this, Cade. The moment that plane touches down in South America, Yax and I are talking to Eduardo. We're picking up three nine Uzi nine millimeters.
3: We're getting a couple of AK 47s. We're going into their packing, brother.
2: I, I really should have
0: picked Ben Hur.
3: No, I get I get what you're saying, and there's a scene that's really about to come up where yeah. before knowing anything that's gonna happen, it would have it would have made me just say, Okay, red flag, I stop here. But right. after thinking it over, I'm like, Okay, yes, you guys do the reportage. I'm not leaving you hanging now. I'm just I'm not going with you, I'm going to the embassy. I'm getting backup ready. oh uh, uh, uh,
2: no, I think I misunderstood. I'm sorry, Doctor. You're saying if you were the brother you would stop there and let the reporters handle the rest. Mm mm. I'm well, saying
3: involved in it at
2: all. Why else would you be there? You're either the journalist or the brother. There's no
3: other buddy going or the around.
2: cameraman or the no cameraman. One. Well that's his job is to go camera
1: stuff.
3: I'll <laughs> hand the camera over to Tut, pat him on his rump, say so you go in there and get those photos, brother, and I'm heading to the embassy to get some rings. Tell, tell
2: my what, story, doctor. Tell
3: go, my story. Go
2: back to Vice Media with your you know, your thousand dollars of travel expenses with some fascinating footage of the American embassy and see see how that See how your boss treats you. <gasps> they are immersionist journalists and they have a job to do, which I, I guess I just found it kind of flimsy that they would be this in, interested in this story. seems like. I would have liked
1: like, a little bit more of a hook.
2: seems like a lot of women in their twenties and men in their twenties join up with, with kind of weirdo subsect religious cults and kind of do weird shit. And it, they're just like, it was the most enthralling thing we'd ever heard. I, I just didn't really like really like, Okay.
1: No, that's true. I mean, I joined up with a cigar club in uh, my thirties, and
2: God damn
1: it,
3: how'd that turn out for you? I'm still in the cult. Help me, help me. That's what that I... Brazel Valley warning was. Oh, you're right, Kate. I'm not a journalist. I'm a, I'm immersed in being a white collar pussy. The office is right over there
2: well, that's why I, that's why I'm just kind of saying it, it, we can't really say what we would do here because we would never be in the situation.
3: very good, very true. I'm just saying that that that, that part works as a movie is that you're, you start thinking that way.
2: Um, okay well I, th- I, I think we're all on the same page now.
3: still going to the embassy
2: once the once the whatever country it is, I'm sure they have an embassy. Once the trio Patrick and the two journalists arrive in the middle of nowhere on the helicopter, they're met by two African-American men with thick accents and AK-47 rifles who at first demand their passports. Well, first, they don't want the journalists to come with them. They just want Patrick. He's the only one on the list. They, they walkie-talkie back to whoever they're talking to. Finally, the journalists can come. But they want their passports. The journalist is like, we're not giving anybody our passports. All right. They walkie talkie back some more. Fine. Get in the back of the truck, this really old, you know, flatbed truck. And they're driven down a long dirt road to Eden Parish. Doctor, that was your point you were speaking of. Whenever someone asks you to confiscate your passport is when you say no thanks and that's
3: it. That's when I was going to stand there on that landing pad for 24 hours and ah, be like, all yeah. right, let's have fun. Yeah. But that's I can't where, help,
2: That's where
1: I'm at too. You do but, not give up
2: your passport.
1: But no I can't help
3: what. but think,
2: as a, as a immersionalist, that's a journalist who immerses himself, an immersionalist, uh, that has to get your your radar going. Like, oh, this could be juicy if they want to take my passport. Something really big. <laughs> yeah. On. Well, I mean, that's uh, let's let's
1: let's be honest. They know what's going on. They 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 have their suspicions. They have their suspicions that there's a, some cult like stuff going on here that this is what this girl's trapped in. That's why the brother was going down there. The brother's concern. See, they should have had a little bit more concern from the brother because... The brother is the weakest link in this film. He's the, yeah. least,
2: he's the least likable character. He's the least character that, that has enough screen time to know why his bond with his sister, he doesn't get... We don't get any of that. He's kind yeah. of the third wheel on this thing.
1: Now, uh, we'll disagree for one scene, and I'll, 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 I'll spike up when we get to the scene where I think that as an actor, I thought... Wow, that was that was good.
2: Okay, by the way, the retrohale and the draw now are working beautifully together in the cigar with the the weight of the <coughs> excuse
1: <me>. Yeah, the <coughs> weight of that uh that retrohale,
2: the weight of the, the weight the of the retro there, just settling on the nose and then the, the the bold earth and coffee on the draw. Uh I I really like this expression of the Lajero heavy brimstone. It's 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 really tasty. It's really tasty. It is tasty
1: and there's nice little, I mean, it's, it's a flavor forward profile. So you get that earth there, you get it up front on that palette draw. Um, I've always been a little bit to me. uh, And and this, this is something that I, I'm trying not to do with this cigar is bring my preconceived notions from the other Vitellas in. Uh, But one of the things that's always amazed me with this line is that you get such heavy laharo, but are able to balance it out really nice, to where there is just these, that like I said, a flavor forward profile, that nice boldness that you were talking about through the retro hell. Uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago where people were saying you're crazy for putting this much laharo into a cigar, hey, and you- yet he's done it. He's done it nicely.
2: Yeah, he's made laharo smooth. That's not easy to do. Um smooth
1: is smooth is the perfect adjective for it.
2: It's a smooth smoke, especially in this Vitola. I really like this nine incher. Yak boy style. Right. (laughs) Patrick's sister, Caroline, greets them at the gate to Eden Parish and she's ecstatic to see her brother, although she's caught off guard by his media friends. She seems hesitant to grant them permission to continue filming as they enter the grounds, but she's super friendly and laid back. I mean, she seems just like a a, a normal late 20s uh, girl. She's like, you know, go right ahead. Just do your jobs. Keep filming. Everyone here is so excited to show you our community, what we've helped build. There's almost 200 members that live here. And what they've constructed is quite impressive. Eden Parish is about the size of two football fields. And there's bungalows where the families live, a large pavilion for gatherings, a medical building, even a basketball court. For guys like me and Yaks when we get that urge later oh. to, to shoot some hoops, which we do at every given opportunity. Uh you, we would be okay there, Yaks with that with that basketball goal. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> Did y'all actually play basketball? No, y'all didn't. In Nicaragua. No, y- we went yeah. out to
2: to yeah, we to throw the throw the you know, we were going to shoot a couple of things. Hey, whatever, but then we literally like got schooled. Everybody <laughs> got schooled. Like, oh, the the two guys who hadn't played basketball since they were nine years old got schooled, did we? <laughs> it wasn't even that we got a chance to actually get a hold of the ball. Here's the thing. When you're traveling um, internationally and you've been drinking local beers for the last like eight hours, and a bunch of guys are like, hey, we're, we're going across town and to shooting some hoops. You in? Fuck yeah, we're in. Yak looks at me. This is when we uh, traveled to Nicaragua earlier this year. Yak's looks at me like we are like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's we're doing this. Oh my god. So out of the ten cigars we smoked today and the endless (laughs) supply of beer, we're now going to engage
3: in physical activity. Again, this is where I would have let you two, despite the <laughs> low presence that I provide, go to the basketball court and I would have gone to the American Embassy.
1: Everybody have been looking at Doc saying, Wait, that's the tallest mother that's the tallest mug yeah. you
3: got on the team, Doc. Hey like, I'm headed to the Nicaraguan American Embassy.
2: Luckily for us, uh, we, we got into a bus at the at the Drew Estate factory and we traveled approximately what, yikes, fifty yards. Drew State has its own basketball court on the factory grounds. And it was it was a very uh, low key match. Basically, uh, uh, Ryan and Ernie, some some other Drew State employees, and uh, and Big Ryan. Uh, the, it, it, it was not me and uh, Yak Boy against a bunch of Nicaraguan kids.
3: <laughs> I still would have gone to the embassy, Tut. Look, uh, a couple of buddies of mine. They got in a bus. They went <laughs> hey, down the street. Neither of them play basketball worth a tin horn. Shit, I'm gonna need some Marines.
2: I had a good what buzz going. Man? I had a good bug, buzz going, and now Yakboy and I can say we played basketball in Nicaragua. We did. Not many
3: people can say that. Did either one of you successfully make a field goal? I think so. Check me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I,
2: I think I slam dunk. I actually did that thing where you crawl, I crawled over Yakboy's back. <laughs> And two days later, he was walking again. So everything worked out okay. (laughs) As Caroline gives them the grand tour, the soothing voice of the father comes over the loudspeakers that are everywhere in Eden Parish, asking his children to welcome their special visitors and treat them with the hospitality and represent ourselves in the ways the Lord has taught us. God bless you all. God bless you all. Caroline explains that the father is their leader. This was all his vision, creating a a heaven here on earth. Sam asks if they can interview the father, and Caroline says she'll see what she can do. She's very accommodating. She's very just relaxed and, and, and cool with them. She says the community requires a certain level of secrecy to do what they're doing here, and that applies to both the media and the local government. But she's just so open and welcoming when she's saying all this. The sweet and naturally beautiful Caroline is played by actress Amy Semets. Um and she is the best hostess for Eden Parish that money could possibly buy. Like you show up and she greets you and shows you around. I mean she she's awesome and, and she just seems, you know, really well centered and just saying all the right things. Um and is the, the actor
3: is Or Simetz? I don't know either.
2: S E I
1: M E T Z She is a good presence. I liked her. And she's very soothing, like you said.
3: And also part of the, uh, also part of this group of of people that we're talking about because she was in, uh, Your Next. Wasn't she in, was she in Horrible Way to Die too? Wasn't she the main, she was the
2: main, she was the main, uh, the victim, uh, target of the serial killer in Horrible Way to Die, yeah.
3: And she was in, uh, Your Next. And she also played, uh, recently outside of that realm. She, uh, must have picked up a decent check because, uh, picture that played in the theater she was the wife in the pet cemetery remake oh was she yeah,
2: yeah she's she's really good in this she's really really good in this well she, uh caroline is ultra ecstatic while explaining how this place has changed everyone's lives for the better and her enthusiasm seems genuine and from a place of real honesty mm-hmm. I, did, I i i thought her performance was sensational in this film I I, I I
3: remember too she's supposed to have been a hardcore drug problem and now she seems all clean and healthy
2: yeah, I mean, perfectly. And 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 doctor, we've seen enough horror films. If you got just a local actress, uh, want to be in a movie, like this is a hard fucking role to 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 nail. And they they all are the journalists. Her, I I under I undervalued
1: her until a scene later up. But yeah, I I have to agree with you. I, I think she's a very talented actress.
2: Everything requires top-notch talent in this film to make it work, and she's great. Well, once uh, the guys have settled in their cabins and and put away their gear, Sam begins walking around the community with Jake behind the camera, and they interview some of the residents. It seems the majority of the community's members are African-American, maybe like 75%, many of them elderly, but there are members from all races and age groups pretty much represented. They all say that this place has saved their lives. They don't speak with their old families as this is our new family now. But there's nothing off-putting about these testimonials. Everyone seems happy and genuinely, you know, centered. In fact, everyone's quite friendly and candid with the journalists, even discussing how they sold all their belongings to help fund Eden's Parish. When Sam continuously asked them, well, who paid for this? Who paid? We did. You know, we gladly help fund this, uh, this community, and they're very proud of it.
3: And not to kick yeah. this course again, but I think that because you know you do meet an Australian young lady, but because they're largely Americans, that, that again, what makes me believe that even though they didn't tell us, and you were right to point that out, Kate, because they're largely American, that leads me to believe that we as an audience are expected to think that this is probably Central or South America where it wasn't that long of a jaunt. That big of a trick. Okay.
2: And
1: also at this point, like I said, I, I didn't know that this was – I didn't know the Jonestown hook on it. So uh, the only thing that I'm thinking is uh, once we started getting into this and I started listening to the the people respond, I'm like, cult,
3: cult, dealing with the cult here. But- I can't say how much the trailer affected my judgment, but, and and Cade, let me know if you want me to point this out as we go along or as, as or later on uh, as kind of a his, his history nerd, I'm extremely familiar with, the Jonestown story. I'm,
2: I'm very glad that I did not watch the trailer to this film um, because it let things m- unravel more organically. Obviously I'm familiar with Jonestown. Um, I, I st- actually studied it quite a bit in college. Um, I liked seeing the the revelation unfold narratively, just kind of naturally without having that foresight of watching the trailer if I was a good podcast host, I probably would have told you guys, don't watch the trailer. Um, but, yeah, but you know what? You, yeah, you. T- there is that everyone's kind of giving the same type of answers. But what worked for me was just most horror films, these people would have a weird slant to them or an odd uh, effect to the way they present themselves. But that's the cool that's the cool thing
1: about a cult, though, is that you don't have to manufacture that because it's already given in their
3: response.
2: Well, yes, but that's what the film did well. Yeah,
3: yeah, Pretty much so. Yeah. In most there's horror no, films, there's nobody going. I saw the corn. In yeah. most,
2: in most films, <laughs> it, it would be. I saw the corn. I love the corn. It was these pe, these these these, you know, kind of background actors were just really good at 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 being relaxed and saying the right things
1: and kudos to casting to to pay attention to these actors and the, you've got some very minimal memorable screen presence actors the kind of faces that you just walk up and it just automatically vote authentic if i could if that yes. makes sense. Yes, I mean,
2: it does. It does. Uh, when, you, when, you're, when they're interviewing, I, I think she calls herself the mom, uh, the mom or the grandma of the group. She's like an eighty-something-year-old yeah. American woman, one of the first ones. Great kind of,
1: screen presence. Great look. Just looks. She looks and talks. You're, but I mean, every, everybody through this thing from the nurse, uh, from the nurse that they interview, uh, the kids playing basketball, which probably coming up. I mean. <laughs>
2: Yeah,
0: we'll, uh, we'll, talk, we'll talk about those those basketball players in a minute.
2: Oh, you didn't uh, like them? Okay. Yeah, every movie has it. No movie's perfect. Um,
3: I, I would have scored at will in that game, Tut.
2: Especially, uh, yeah, you would. speaking of all these characters, especially nice and forthcoming, as Tut said, is the community's nurse, Wendy. Um, another, you know, mid-50s African-American who explains to them that they have plenty of medicine, he's like, Sam's like, well, who paid for all this? One? We did. She's proud of it. And they don't require much of it because, I mean, they're kind of secluded here. They, they don't get a lot of outside, you know, uh, sickness and illness and whatnot. And she, she reveals that they've actually birthed seven babies since they settled here a little over a year ago, which kind of blows his mind. And we see they have a, a woman there that cares for the babies in the nursery, seem very well taken care of and happy. Everything's very clean. Everything's very organized. Sam asks a lot of questions about how this place is funded, et cetera, but mainly he keeps the questions softball here in the early goings with the, the locals. In fact, after the interview, a couple of brothers from the hood, Robert and Andre, I sh- should say before I get the cancel culture emails, they're actual brothers. I didn't throw that out as And alike. they say they're from the hood and they're actual brothers. I didn't say that a couple brothers from the hood. They're, they're actual brothers from the hood. They, they, they have the same parents um Jake feels comfortable enough to put his camera down and play some basketball with him. like like they they're, they're, they're kind of they're, they're feeling very welcome at this point
1: At this point but- no I to me I thought it was an expert move because you're a journalist coming into I mean, everybody's as as nice as everybody's being, you know, everybody's got their guard up. They know that, you know, the cameras going around, especially as secluded as this is, even if they weren't guarded because you're a reporter, they're going to be guarded because you're an outsider. But here's these professional reporters. They're getting a little bit of rapport with the people. They're playing some games with them. I mean, they they know their stuff. That's why I told Yaks,
3: put on your high tops. We're shooting hoops. And if we want to be a dick, as I pointed out, I like Swanberg, but he is the vice journalist. We know that because he's got a headband.
2: Yeah. No, he's the can- – that's how you know he's the camera
1: guy. The camera the guy.
3: guy. So you know he's the camera guy? He's got uh, the headband on.
1: I almost wore my camera headband
2: tonight. I did not.
3: Well, here's this dialogue
2: that the reason I – when Tut said that everybody was so believable and I rolled my eyes at Robert and Andre – Man, we from the hood, a violent community. God knows if we didn't come here, what would have happened to us? We ain't never going back there. We'll die before we go back there. It was straight, stereotypical boys from the hood bullshit written by a white guy. It's the only dialogue in this whole film that rings so bullshit to me. But that's not on the actors. That's no, That's no, no, on the no. screenwriter. That is, that is no fault of the two dudes playing them. They said the lines that they and were And if
1: you look at the credits of the screenwriting – that might give you a little something.
3: I had no I had no problem with it at all. Oh, those two dudes just screamed to me like, "Oh god." And Message, if you're pointing out that there's a young Australian chick, there's the old grandma, there's the the but She but, but the
2: Australian chick wasn't like, "I don't have to worry about boomerangs coming into my village and hitting me in the head and and the dingoes oh. running away with my babies." She wasn't filled with stereotypes. These guys were like, Drive-bys every day. It was just total
3: stereotype crap.
1: I was just another brother slinging rock on the streets, man.
3: I think I think they were supposed to be stereotypes because it showed you that in Eden Parish, there's all types. Okay. It just to me, uh, it worked for Doctor. It worked for Doctor. I wasn't bothered by it. Okay.
2: Everyone else, I like the I like the I, actors I themselves. Well, everyone else, like else, everyone else was so grounded, and I I didn't even have that thought. With these guys, it was like, oh, a white guy wrote the shit they're saying. Yeah, but even with the
1: even with the bad screenwriting, I still like the actors. They delivered it. No, no, no. I, I liked no,
2: them. No fault of the two dudes playing them. They were just. Doing the best they could with the script given to them at the time.
3: And remember I met him because I'm drinking my ties at the American embassy waiting for y'all still <laughs> masses to get back.
1: <laughs> I'm seeing a dark attack. Uh-oh. There's no there's no phone reception out here. Of
2: course there's not. I gotta tell you, I don't know if it's the triple triple introducing the the kind of sweetness I'm start it's it's not a, a, a pronounced sweetness. But all of a sudden with that coffee and earth, again, this is such a big cigar. I'm, I'm not even to the, the middle third yet. I am getting just a kind of an underlying kind of dark cherry sweetness. Are you guys getting it?
1: I can't tell you because my beer is so coffee and sweet laden that
2: it's, it's blasted everything. Um, construction wise for a nine inch cigar, the burn line is perfect. Draw has been great. Um, the draw has been perfect and this triple triple is actually really approachable um maybe that's the key don't drink the triple triples actually brewed by monks buy it from the white the uh, imperialist americans that buy out you those
1: sacrilegious piece of shit i mean I, i'm not going to judge you by this your food fine. and drink choices but yeah. i would say go to the tra- go the trappist route and
3: Tell, well i believe in not joy enjoy, enjoy. enjoy. It's also okay to give in to your feelings. You sorry sack of shit. Oh, wait, sorry. And I, I'm
2: gonna. I'm going to... I got to admit, I, I started dipping my cigar in some of the... Oh, uh, buttermilk- Asian sauce? No, the Buttermilk Ranch Chick-fil-A sauce, and it's, it's bringing out some notes of just awesomeness. I'm dipping this cigar in some donkey sauce. It's fucking awesome. <laughs>
3: And see, Todd, oh, right. Cody are enjoying their cigars without the benefit of buttermilk ranch sauce. To each his oh. own, Cade. Okay. To each his own.
2: I got a sweet tea. Here I am in the corner of hope. I'm dipping a cigar in rockin' donkey ranch sauce. I got a triple, triple beer. I'm pouring some spicy sriracha into it. Oh, yeah. I, I got so many dipping sauces here. I can't keep track of them. Back in their cabin later. <laughs> Sam gives a testimonial to the camera where he relays that everyone here seems to think it's the best place they've ever been. They have their own farming, their own hospital, their own daycare, their own everything. As far as utopias go, it truly has something for everybody. If it's spirituality you want, they got it. If it's progressive politics, they got it, which I didn't really get that part of what he said. but um, If it's technology-free hippie lifestyle you're looking for, they got they definitely have that too. He can't help but think that desperation is what brought a lot of people here. But if they're happy now, who is he to say anything? And as a viewer, at this point, it jives. It at does. least I at least I thought so.
1: No, absolutely. That's no, the, because I I mean that's that's the one the important man, thing the older the older I get and you know Doc's been, you know, nicely with the enlightenment of you know, if they're enjoying their dipping sauce, you know, why why make us stink about it? And I actually am trying to get that way to but where I, it's, it's like, you know, if people are happy, why, even if you disagree with it, man, why piss on them just to piss on them? That's, that's more about your unhappiness than their happiness.
2: It is, but to, I think as, as, a, as this movie goes, it's important at this point when Sam says, if they're happy, who am I to say anything? I think it's really important as a viewer to be in sync with Sam throughout this film. You have to be feeling what he's feeling because he's our our voice. He's our kind of conduit to this community. Okay. If we were seeing like, I don't know, Sam. We're seeing a bunch of shit. You're not. No. The fact when he's like, hey, if they're happy, who am I to say? I think it's really important to, for this movie to work that we're like, yeah, Sam, you're right. Like everyone seems
3: in a good place here.
2: Well, and- if that's the bar, and- then they've done a good
1: job because I'm on board. Yeah.
3: He's the linchpin as far as the narrative, Cade. That, that's, that's definitely good to point out. Um, I think, you know, just, you tell what you're saying, like, I really don't care what anybody else does. Uh, leave me out of it. That's my kind of thing. Um, but getting back to the crux of this, you pointed out again, they are journalists. Uh, they are there because they think something interesting is happening. So they are there to kind of uncover a story. So Sam is like, hey, everybody seems happy. He still wants to meet father. He still wants to talk to him. Well but he's kind of like that, that's my default thing, because I'm not a journalist. Sure. Even if I try to put myself in the place of the characters, I'm not. So for me, it's easy to say, hey, you guys do whatever the fuck you want to do. But
2: when he but when he said that, it's important that I'm in sync with him because if he had those interactions, then he went back to his cabin, he's like, I'm sensing some really sinister shit here. Well, we didn't see that. So why yeah. are you? That would that would kind of rip you rip you away as from a, it. As a viewer, you would disconnect, and I, I I think you have to be constantly in sync with Sam. Cameraman Jake, though, he's like, "What do you think?" And they put the camera on him, and he's naturally a little more cynical because he's a camera <laughs> because he's a camera guy.
3: Because he wears a
1: headband.
2: He's got that fucking headband on. He's impressed. Only
1: thing, only thing missing from Jake is the
2: headphones and the wristbands. <laughs> and The wristbands. <laughs> He's impressed that a group of alcoholics and drug addicts pulled this community together. And he means that. I mean, it's, it's he he's sincere, but he says the fact they sold all their worldly possessions to do it throws up some red flags for him, which is also as a viewer, understandable, understandable. That's what we were all thinking. Exactly. That it's, I think it's so good the way it's written that we are, we have two voices, Jake and Sam, a little more cynical and a little more just, we have to agree with these two dudes. A balance of them
3: and, and jake else. isn't saying holy shit let's get the fuck out of here he's no, not right gonna, right
2: not at this point he, right not.
3: he's like eh, i don't know but he's he's not worried
2: and i think it's really to backtrack a little bit when they were uh driving in the flatbed truck into eden parish there's a really funny moment where uh the camera's on sam and he's like hey if they start shooting if they shoot jake just so you know i'm gonna run out past those trees and just keep running. Like when he tells the camera, "Hey, if they just turn around and shoot Jake, I'm out of here. I'm going to run through." Oh, Tuck, put on the headband. Uh, what? What? I, I was just backtracking a little bit. To the, there's a real moment as they're driving that long road into the parish where Sam says to camera, "Just so you know, if they shoot Jake with those AK-47s, I'm going to run through those trees and keep running and running. Because that's what we're thinking. If Tuck gets shot, I'm not going to just." Cuddle his body and be like, "No, I'm out of there. I'm Amy, running. I can make it. I'm
3: running well, so fast." Well, what would you do if Mark Knopfler, the lead singer of the Dire Straits, got shot?
2: Let's welcome him to square number
3: Money two. Money for nothing and no chicks for free.
2: Computers
3: and Well,
2: guys, while Sam and Jake are talking in their cabin privately, a young mute girl named Savannah wanders up to their doorstep. Sam tries to interview Samantha's mother, who scurries over to retrieve her daughter, but she informs them she's not allowed to talk about the parish with them because they're outsiders, and she runs off. Sam thinks it's odd that this lady with a very different, unwelcoming vibe called them outsiders. Did you hear that? She called us outsiders. Why was was that weird? They are outsiders, right? It was a weird. Well, was, call. I, it, I think it was her like the first was, time, her, but it was
1: the first time that somebody there at the camp referred to them as outsiders. Yeah, but, and you would think that if you're going into a cult situation like these, these reporters obviously think they're going into a cult situation. Yet when they were there, nobody was giving them a cult vibe, I know, treating like, them as outsiders. Then all of a sudden, this is the first representation. I just My thought, problem well, with this is that I couldn't figure out whether the girl was supposed to be cute or creepy. Because like in a horror movie, you always get that that creepy girl and I'm With the just, wet hair hanging down in front of her face. Yeah, know. and I was just like, well, you're kind of cute. You're not really that creepy,
2: but maybe you're not supposed to be creepy. No, she's just a she's just a little mute girl. But I I just thought that he was way way overblowed that because all those people could have said that the nurse could have said that. Well, you know, we don't get many outsiders here, or you know, we don't get to talk to many outsiders. Yeah. And this chick called him an outsider. Like, did you hear that? She called us an outsider. Yeah, asshole. They haven't seen anybody else in a year. You're an outsider. Uh. But as the doctor said, Sam would be like, "That's going in my notes."
3: Because it should. Because as Tut said, I think that Sam and Jake are. I don't want to say they're there looking for trouble cuz that's not it, but they're looking for a story. It's going to be boring if it's a whole ha- healthy happy community of hippies. Right. They, well, they, well, you know but the, at this point, yeah, but there's a difference between looking
2: for a story after the fact and then like in the moment them being like thrown off by something that I just didn't think was really that 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 weird. It, well, I was wondering why you know why they weren't like their their interactions weren't more cynical, like why they weren't you know if you're there to investigate, you're going to take everything with a grain of salt. They should have well, been like, just I, like every, everything that everyone said, because especially if you're going into a situation where you think it, I mean, it's not necessarily substantiated at this point that it's a, quote unquote a cult, but you'd be you'd be asking like everything like I, I, who I, are we I, talking I, to I, why are we talking to them? I attributed that yaks yeah, to they have they have 24 hours. And they just the people that we've seen them talking to so far, they just set foot in this place. If they start coming in hard, you're in the hot seat. You're in the hot seat. Then I I I saw them doing a slow burn up until that evening, and they were just kind of like getting the you got you you gotta you know you you get more friends with you know sugar than salt. They're they're just kind of trying to assimilate first, and then maybe they'll find something through that. Well, I guess maybe they could have did that on screen with them base, you know, sort of throwing the side eye to each other.
1: Or at least having, talking. or at least having that, that talk on the plane, like, how are you going to go into this? How are we going to approach well, them? Are we going
2: hard? Or are we going high? Or are we going we do low? get, we, we do get that, that moment between them here very quickly uh, to uh, where they had talk, talk about their approach to these interviews. Let me, let me get to that. Gotcha. Later that afternoon, Caroline hands Sam an invitation of sorts. It's, it reads, Distinguished guests, welcome to Eden Parish. Father wants only to create a community where peace and love are cherished, where the needs of one another are met on equal levels, as we're all God's children, and it is how he himself intended us to live. We do not seek to isolate ourselves from the outside world, but we do seek a distance from imperialism, violence, poverty, racism, and all other unacceptable attacks on basic human rights. These conditions have all become commonplace in modern societies. Father created Eden Parish not as a place to get away, but as a place to start over. It is a new beginning, sincerely the loving congregation of Eden Parish. When they say they're against imperialism, does that also include imperial stouts? I'm out. Tut, you would not be welcome there. I would not want to be welcome there, my friend. So far, though, seriously, so far, so great. Other than the no cigars, no IPAs, and no football on TV, I think I might have been okay there. <laughs> well, no air conditioning. That'd be a deal breaker.
3: The uh, no cigars, no beers was okay with you? I'm like Homer in the Treehouse of Horror. No beer and no cigars make Doc go something, something. Crazy? Go I never do.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, it just had to be hot there. I, I can't do I I don't do with. I, I can't sleep if there's not a good air conditioning. That's that's white privilege. <laughs> <By> de- <laughs> that's by de- first world problems. By definition, that is uh, first world problems. So that night at sundown, <laughs> which uh, they go to the pavilion, which has a sign hanging from the entrance reading. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. A large gathering takes place where all the residents have come together to watch as the father is being interviewed by the vice dudes. And to to your point, before they go to this interview, Jake asks Sam, the the journalist, are you going to go hard on these questions? Are you going to go easy? What are you going to do? And he's like, he's got his nobody's like, I'm going hard. I'm going I'm, I'm going in hard, which tells me he went soft earlier. Yeah, he's going to hit the father with dude. They're leaving in the morning. He's they got to get a store. He's going in hard uh, as the elderly overweight father makes his way through the ecstatic applauding crowd of, of 200 followers. He shakes hands. He gives hugs to the women. It's like when I walk into a cigar lounge, people just go bananas with excitement, right? Tip? Right, Kester. And then the
1: interview begins. Up on stage with the. I'm father. sorry. I'm sorry. Is uh. I just see the corn.
2: Up on stage, uh, with the father and Sam, and I can only say this: this scene is a masterclass in acting, and screenwriting, and overall filmmaking in general. The father is played absolutely fucking perfectly by an actor named Gene Jones, who the doctor called no
1: coincidence
2: and said no. No, or a uh, coi- no, it actually is just pure, a coincidence. Pure coincidence. Uh the doctor called and asked if I remembered him from The Hateful Eight. Uh he, I did not. What? I I only saw that in a theater. He he owned the general store. Oh, okay.
3: Uh, we sweet, 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 sweet Dave,
2: the guy that's Dave. In uh it's a minor role, but he but he's there. But what I what I re- recognized him from, did you guys recognize him from anything? I didn't. Not a clue. He has the I'm not as big on this movie as everybody else is. I, I really like the movie. But his scene is by far the most memorable scene in the movie. He plays the unluck unlucky gas station attendant in No Country for Old Men. That is when it. when the you never saw him. No. it? No. When the killer flip Tells him to, you know, uh, what's what's the killer's name? Uh, not uh, Benicio del Toro. Uh, Javier Bardem. Javier Bardem makes him flip a coin whether he lives or dies. And he he, he he throws out the shout out to Temple, Texas. His wife's from Temple, Texas. And we're from yeah. Temple, Texas. That That's him. He's the gas station attendant in uh, No Country for Old Men. Okay. But this is the movie he should be known for.
3: It hits a grand slam home run.
2: Oh, my God. This guy, and from what I've read, this scene, he nailed in one take, this interview scene, and it was done. There wasn't a do-over. There wasn't a second take. When he sits down for this interview, this actor, Gene Jones, nailed this fucking scene. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about the scene after I get into some other stuff. He nailed it in one take, which is admirable to say the least from a professional
3: doctor-esque you might say
2: i might say whenever i film scenes and the doctor would show up i knew i was gonna get the best out of the doctor right away there's no fucking around he knows his lines he knows he comes in prepared he's gonna give it to me the people around him might need some other shit but he's gonna give it to me that first time and that's what this guy apparently did The Father plays to the crowd. I'm not going to go through the whole interview for you. It's a 10-minute scene. But the Father plays to the crowd, as all successful preachers do, giving credit to the community rather than himself for what they've accomplished here. And he has a poetic, well-thought-out response to every question he's asked. While he's overly polite to his new friends during the interview, while discussing the corrupt America they're visiting from, he does cast suspicion on them to his followers, when Sam finally comes in with the occasional tough question like, for a peaceful society, why the guards with guns? If you if you believe in peace, why are these men with AK-47s needed here in a supposedly peaceful society? See, folks, this is why I don't like the media, he chuckles. They've only been here five minutes, and they're already trying to find a negative angle. When Sam says, that wasn't my intention, father, the father smiles. Oh, I don't blame you, Sam. It's not your fault. You don't even know you're doing it. He's so good. Oh, and towards the end, when the father mentions Sam's pregnant wife and unborn child back at home, I see your wedding ring, Sam. You a married man? Yes, I am. You love her? And he's kind of thrown back by that. What do you mean? You love her, Sam. And that unborn child you have, A.J. Bowen, the actor, playing Sam, when that hits him, that this guy knows about his unborn child, which he shouldn't have any way of knowing about. It makes him so uneasy, but he's a pro and he kind of, you it's so subtle, his reaction to that comment about his unborn kid, but he he, he nails that perfectly. Mm. It's here where the father knows, mentioning his family, and he lets his audience know, and Sam know, and us, the people watching the movie know, that he has the upper hand in the interview. It's such a cool moment when he shifts, when he plays that card. The interview ends with Sam promising the father, I don't have an agenda for this story. I will report completely unbiased. And the father says, that's why I agreed to do this, Sam. I can tell you're different from other media and their lies. I can tell that you care. This character of the father is so great. And Gene Jones is so goddamn brilliant at bringing the father to life. It's not often that a scene where two characters can sit and talk for 10 minutes. That's a play. 10 minutes of screen time where two people sit and talk. It's called a screenplay killer when you have two people sit and talk for 10 minutes. But at least for me, it was absolutely captivating it cinema. It was the
1: meat of the film.
2: It had it to was. be this it had to be here and it had to be this good and they pulled it off.
3: It's a brilliant scene. Uh, I don't think I can say any better than you said it, Kate. It's a brilliant scene, wonderfully done by Gene Jones, who was phenomenal. Uh, Wonderful interplay between him and A.J. Bowen, who has the right reactions. Brilliantly done. Uh, I just want to interject this thing. the, The scene's great, but if you know anything about Jonestown, when he shows up and has the charisma that he does and has the tinted sunglasses... At this point, whether you've seen the trailer or not, you've gotta be making a Jonestown connection. This
1: is no, hey. you're abs- you're absolutely right, Doc. Hey. I had not I had not made it there, but as soon as I looked at him, I was like before he even said anything, I was like, Oh, okay, Jim Jones, here we go. Man, here's here's the interesting thing with this scene. In order to understand cult like behavior the reason why it's called cult of personality is because you have that guy whose personality is like a gravitational well, you kind of forget you go into it with your own uh, conceived uh, preconceived notions. You go into it with your agenda. You go into it, say, you know what? I'm going to grill this guy. I am going to just go at him hard. And then once you get in there, you are affected by that gravity well that cult personality gravity well and then it just it just affects you there is something almost magical that some people have that that kind of gets to it and that's where these cult leaders really really shine that's how It's believable what happens later on. It's believable what happened with the Koreshians and Waco. It's believable what happens in Jonestown. If you've ever experienced being in that gravitational well.
2: There's a great moment after the interview where Jake looks at uh, Sam, the interviewer, his camera guy, and is like, did you get what you want? He's like, well, look at my notes. I didn't get through a third of my questions. I'm not even sure he answered those. He ends it, the father ends the interview with – Without ending it, he just finesses an ending to it that Jake has no, or Sam has no way to not end it. And he was just caught up in the vortex of the cult of personality. And if this guy can have that kind of effect on 200 people here, it's believable that he was able to kind of a, a hardened journalist like Sam. He, he got the best of them.
3: Throws him and for a loop.
2: And Sam yeah. re- and Sam realizes it. Sam yeah. realizes this guy got me, and he got me good.
1: Uh, I, I we, remember there was a there was a politician that I was in the room with, and I was going to go at. I I was just like Sam. I was like, I am going to go at this mofo, and I'm going to do it. And I walked up, introduced myself. He grabbed him by the hand, shook me, claps on the other arm. Jason. Jason, how are you doing? He was like, you're for, you're you're in Temple, right? And just, man, he went within five minutes, completely disarmed me, and I remember feebly asking my questions, and he didn't answer it. I, I remember he did not answer it at all, and I just walked away from there going, what the fuck just happened? You told there me people that. People that- have
3: a like, powerful uh, thing about them, and this is a poor parallel, because obviously it's a really well-respected good man, but uh, just as far as somebody that has that sort of presence, that's a real, genuine leader of other people. I mean, Cade, you, uh, many, many years ago, went to a baseball game with Drayton McLean.
2: Drayton McLane was a lo- uh, Drayton's lo- good
3: at that. He's really good at that.
2: He's a local billionaire here in Central Texas. He owned the Houston Astros for for quite some time, and I had the um, privilege of going to a Houston Astros baseball game and sitting next to him behind home plate. And I was a nobody. I was literally the schlub of schlubs, and for three hours. He sat next to me. He's a a, he is a Christian man. Uh, He's drinking his his unsweet tea. One, just free beer, free hot dogs. (laughs) I'm just being a gluttonous pig. And he's 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 telling me, you know, now, granted, from the time he picked me up at the airport. It's a long story, but bear with me. It's true. He picked me up he got off a private plane at the airport i was living in houston at the time so i had driven to the airstrip he they're like a car just like this movie a car is going to pick you up a black suv pulls up he's driving it no driver he's driving <laughs> the
3: suv i'll, I'll be at kate i'll be at the houston embassy <laughs>
2: <laughs> no you you actually would want it did I, did I tell you got free nachos
3: man you would. No, I, I, like i said it's a bad parallel because this is a good guy he's a good man but he, yeah. had, that, he had that persona
2: and knew every guard when we pulled into Minute Maid Park where the Astros play. All the security guards, he knew their names. Hey, Mr. McClain, blah, 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 waving. We, we walk in, and for three hours plus during this baseball game, he would, con- he would go on to tell me the thinking behind the retractable roof, how many teams that don't have it lose money to rainouts, what his thought process was going into this, what his thought process was signing this player to this contract, this. I could ask this guy anything. Even like a, an old washed out, like 39-year-old pitcher who everyone who knows baseball was like, this was a bad sign. I was doing my best. He, he would, uh, yeah, doctor, you, you were terrible. <laughs> uh, but no, he. It's called a forkball. There's a reason that guy's a billionaire besides hard work and brilliant is he knows how to talk to people and make, he knew the girl pouring cheese on my, my tortilla chip knew her name and she looked at him with on, I mean, the guy knew how to treat people. And if you were in his little vortex, if you were by his side, you were enamored. And I had met some fairly rich, powerful people before, but hanging out with him that afternoon you're right doc it was a cold personality in a positive way. I think that's a I think that's a perfect guy
1: to to bring up because I actually did interview uh, Drayton McLean for uh, Temple uh, Economic Development Corporation. It wasn't near the 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 cool thing that you just went through. Yeah, yeah. This this was, what I
2: what I did was called immersionalism.
1: This was literally this was literally just you know an hour tops interview uh And I just remember sitting there talking with him and I was like, I've got to make this interview the best damn interview ever because this guy deserves it. It's kind of like that football coach that that will convince you to run through the brick wall. I mean, just some people, some people have that. Uh, In the cigar world, JD, I think, I think Jonathan Drew has that. Uh, He has that ability to remember stuff. Like, you know, we met him, I met him, what, five, six years ago. No. And, and eight, he knew
2: eight
1: years, eight years ago. We talked about it last year, or I guess in 2019. And he brought up that he was eating pizza, the line, the clothes we were wearing. This guy knew everything about that eight year ago meeting. It was just. Yes. Yeah, and it would, oh man, then when you experience that, it just disarms you. So it shows other.
3: there's charismatic people that. In this case, when we, when we talk about Jonathan Drew, when we talk about Mr. McLean, we're talking about people that are good people that use their charismatic skills, their leadership for good. It just shows you, as we get into this movie, and you mentioned David Koresh and Jim Jones, there are people that are charismatic leaders. Some of them are good people and use that for good. But if you have that gift of being a charismatic leader and you choose to take people and lead them astray. You can yeah. lead them
2: astray and you can you can uh, I think there are those leaders that have that that the the intoxicating power of power, the hunt for power is is, is it, it overtakes you. Even if your original intentions we don't know what their original intentions were, but eventually the 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 hunger and the, the addictive desire of power over others over overtakes that. And, and it's just but here's but here's a great thing about here's a great thing about last note about Drayton McLean. Rather than set up shop and base his family on the outskirts of the small town where we where we lived and kind of live out out away from things, he had the balls to build his home kind of in the middle of a very middle class yeah where he still lives, but on a huge plot of land in a relatively Normal neighborhood with tennis court and a, a, a larger home and all that, and because of his character and because of the way he presents himself, you didn't have people walking by his tennis courts and his thing throwing shit at him and cursing this rich, this rich yeah. guy. Yeah. They all look at him so fondly and hold him in such high regard. a good dude. I mean, it's a good because guy. because of his fucking character. And yeah, I think, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, it, th- these characters are out there and they're, well, one, one thing that, uh,
1: that, that strikes home to me and on the flip side is that, you know, we talk about leadership and we analyze leaders and we analyze cult leaders for good or for bad. It's, it's another thing that you need to be very conscious about just how easy it is to get caught up in that shadow, to get caught up in that gravity well. Because there's a lot of times where you look at the news clip and you're like, man, how could somebody do that? How could somebody go through that? Or how how could somebody subject themselves to that?
3: It's very easy if you get the right kind of cult leader. It is. and it- People are waiting to be led. Most Most people want someone to tell them what to do.
2: And I, and, and I think we were too young when, uh, here locally when Koresh and Mount Carmel happened to wrap our heads around that because we we're still so young. We we're still in the mindset of how could these people follow this guy? Add some age to it and learn a little bit more about how these relationships work with leaders, charismatic leaders. And you're right, doctor. All of a sudden it's yes. There's a certain type of personality that wants to be led, and given the right leader, they'll do fucking anything. I,
3: th- I think I think it's a lot of people who do that, Kate. I think that that's why there are people who get in fights over who the president is these days. I think that people want to be led. They, they feel like they need a leader. They need someone to tell them what to do.
2: And if they have any kind of uh, ground well support from others around them, it's just so easy to get swept up in it.
3: And to redirect it back to the movie and to the Jim Jones Koresh sort of thing, in this case, in Eden Parish, we get the feeling, not only from Patrick's sister, but these were some damaged people. So they were yeah. really looking for yeah. someone to come along and embrace them and bring them in. He was and smart. In a way, that's what Charles Manson did. The yes. father, The yes. father.
2: The father was smart. He went after the downtrodden. He went after the those he speaks a lot. He always sprinkles every speech with we're getting away from racism. And that leads to a huge applause. He he knows he knows this his target audience.
1: Right. Right.
2: And um yeah it's but it's so and this guy subtle. delivers
1: it. Now, first of all, I've I've seen I've seen a ton of Jonestown stuff. I've seen the documentaries. I've seen the interviews with Jim Jones. I've seen the the sermons of Jim Jones.
2: And okay. dude, this guy's good. Well, real quick, real quick, because there have been a lot of Gene movies. Jones. Gene, Gene Jones is very good doing his Jim Jones. Real quick, we have now that we've introduced the father and uh we're kind of getting an idea on where this is headed. Doctor, I didn't ask you to do this, but um, for those listeners who've heard us reference Jonestown a million times, because there there are, I mean, let's face it, there's a lot of people that have maybe heard the term Jonestown that don't know quite what it was, but over 900 people died in the biggest mass suicide ever. And it, you, whenever you hear that phrase, drinking the Kool-Aid, it comes from this specific incident. Doctor, in like two minutes or less, I'm putting you on the spot. Could you give us a brief history lesson of what the Jonestown Massacre was?
3: Yes, I will. Thanks for asking. So as brief as I can, extremely similar to the Eden Parish backstory. Uh, Jim Jones had founded a, a, a church called the People's Temple. Uh, he was a, a, a Christian or proclaimed himself to be a Christian leader. Uh, he had a flock of people. Like you said, it was nearly a thousand Um, They were in the United States, much like Eden's Parish. He felt persecuted and moved out of the country to Guyana in South America. Um, uh, He wore the tinted glasses like the character of the father. Um, He was a very charismatic speaker, like a lot of these leaders are. He had this group of followers that came with him to Guyana. And what happened was, unlike in Eden's Parish, they were known about. And there were concerned relatives who uh, had reached out to authority figures about congressman. Yes, it actually a, a kid had died, and his father was friends with a United States congressman named Leo Ryan from California, mm-hmm. uh, who who uh, decided that he was going to go down there, much like the vice crew, with some journalists and interview them. And uh, not to get too far to, get to the movie, but he showed up with it with a crew. Uh, it was very much like the way it happens at Eden's Parish. They they had planes rather than a helicopter. They flew on a small plane to an airstrip in Guyana and went in. And uh same thing that we'll get, – I'll, I'll get to the parallels again a little bit later. Yeah. But uh, They were brought in, and they met people. And at the very first part of it, we're about to get into what happens next in the movie, which is, again, going to be very similar to Jonestown. It's note for note. Yeah, They 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 met people. People were happy. Uh, and at, at first Congressman Ryan, you know, this is a big shot. This isn't, this isn't a couple of vice journals, This is the United States house of representatives. Yeah, members. I mean, this right. is John, This right. is
2: Texas. This is John Cornyn or, uh, right. or Ted, Ted Cruz going down, to, going down. There's a big time
3: guy. Big time. He went down there with a the crew and they interviewed some people and, and everybody seemed very happy at first. And and while there were relatives who had said they had told him that someone had reached out to Congressman Ryan and said that they're, that they were worried about what had happened uh I, I think even one guy um i forget which one was the one that went nuts the mother or the father but they had actually signed over the their child to jim jones and so he would be their the father yeah he and was the, there. Mother, he, the other I, I, parent had had, had brought concerns so he went down yeah. there with concerns unlike the vice guys he really went down there with concerns but at first saw everything as being very happy and and there's a there's a different way that things go but it, it very much it very much is is going to be portrayed here we
2: well, we'll talk about that uh a little bit later on uh yeah but um uh well let's just talk about now because this is a fictional account let's just go ahead and so so essentially the uh upon the end of their visit uh the congressman uh was it Ryan or Riley
3: it was Ryan Leo Ryan Leo is, Ryan. Leo, Leo Ryan.
2: He told uh, Jim Jones' rep- representatives. Because, granted, this is this is 200 people. This was a thousand that he went to visit. He told the representative, you know what? I'm going to go back. and I'm going to say very good things about uh, Jonestown, and everybody seems really good. But when he got wind uh, Jim Jones that there was some diss- dissidents. No,
1: there that- was there was a. There was a- there was a note passed to the congressman
3: Cong- congressman ryan and, and a female assistant of his who i, I recently saw an interview with because she lived through it uh both her and the congressman were handed a note that said like i
1: said this movie is note for not yeah no pun intended note for note it or said help me, here, help me get telling. out
3: of here and so he all of a sudden he turned to the, his assistant this 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 female who was a young woman and is now you know an older lady and she said we, we thought everything was cool." And someone handed me a note, and someone handed Congressman Ryan a note that said, "Help us or we we want to leave, help us and they both they they each had a separate note, and so they were like, "Oh, some shit's going on here." so and they started talking to people and, and and all of a sudden, there were a group of people that wanted to leave with them on the plane
2: so y- yada, yada, yada um in the real story of Jonestown. That was the real story. That was the real story. No, no, what I'm saying is in the real story of Jonestown in in actual history, uh the congressman got on to, uh, to a small plane to go back to the States to report his findings, and they were he was he and everyone aboard that plane was shot and killed.
1: They never got on a plane. Yeah, they were gunned down before they got onto it. It was at
2: the airport, I think they yeah. were all Yeah, it was on, all, the on the it was landing a, strip. it was a dirt
3: airfield, if you see yeah. pictures of it, very much like the one in the movie. They yeah. were they, they were all killed. And yeah, a tractor
2: gunmen come up and
3: just open fire.
2: And then things went south from there, which we will get to later. But um the minute, having not seen the trailer, I'm with Utah, I see those tinted glasses, but then I hear his delivery. And I've watched so much. It's a fascinating story in American history. Yeah. But I'm just like Gene Jones nailed Jim Jones. Like, no, I mean, he he reincarnated this guy.
3: Okay. So this let's. One, one quick thing, Cade. This will sure. interest you. I sure. believe there is a Jonestown movie from 40 years ago, where I've never seen it. But I think there's a movie where Powers Booth plays Jim Jones. There is. There, there is, and I have seen mm-hmm.
2: that. There absolutely is.
3: What's that? that I, Powers Booth. That could be pretty
1: cool. Powers Booth is awesome. I will say this. Man, I it's hard for me. To, I, and I don't even know if this is disparaging Powers Booth. I love Powers Booth. He can't I do better. love enough. him. Yeah, Gene Jones
3: was awesome.
2: Gene Jones.
3: You, you Holy can't. crap. There's no way you can beat that performance. He was, he was phenomenal.
2: No, this casting director, whoever found Gene Jones and, and, and brought them is, is worthy of. Now I've
1: got some problems with, with this movie going forward. Okay. Well, we're... but Gene Jones
2: is just untouchable. He is, he's not one of those. No, no he's no. untouchable okay. in this movie. Absolutely. Well, a- after the interview, uh, well, you know what, real quick, we, we've,
1: I'm about almost we're, a third of the way I,
2: I, 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 yeah,
3: I am yeah. nub.
2: Oh crap. For a, for a nine inch cigar, this this baby smokes. We're we're both uh t- you and me are in the approaching the final third, which is the last three inches. Uh <laughs> the last three inches is the last the final three inches third. of the third, uh, which would be just halfway through a normal cigar. <laughs> uh I just this is my favorite presentation of the brimstone. Um I I get the LaHero and we don't need to harp on the on the Hero marketing uh because we did that on the last episode. It's hard for me to let it go though. I just like this cigar for what it is and I'm just going to approach it for what it is. I have gotten such a nice and and by now the nose thing has dialed down a little bit. Um it's not hovering quite as much in the nostrils, but that bold earth and coffee on that draw is so enjoyable. It's keeping up with this triple, triple beer. Construction has been great, but my dude, I, if you guys remember, I used to buy the eight inch Florida Oliva bundle cigars because I just want a cigar that I can smoke for a couple hours. And it's not, that's not a premium cigar. This is a premium cigar. This thing is just, the 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 quality of the tobacco and that earthiness, and there's a, a little bit of mineral that creep, creep, creeps in there with that coffee on the draw. Around the halfway point, the mineral becomes a little more pronounced for me, uh, joins that earthiness and that coffee. It's just a really phenomenal singular profile cigar. A singular profile,
1: yes. Uh, it... And I hate to say this because it is really hard and it's probably my marketing background that does most of the damage here. Because of the marketing of, you know, the La bomb, the power bomb, man, it just it throws me out of sync for what is a beautiful beautiful flavor forward cigar. Uh the fact that you can get this much laharo and this smoothness in it I think it's very commendable. Now, I would love, frankly, if, if I'm being 100% honest, I would love this type of flavor profile up that nicotine level a bit to where
2: it gets your head swimming. I believe the other Brimstone announced a month ago, which is a Cigar Federation exclusive, the Oblivion, is marketing-wise what you're looking for. Um, It's a shop exclusive. And that is the oblivion is the one they're 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 pumping as what you're describing. That uh,
1: to me is kind of like what what the brimstone has always been marketed as. It's like this big power bomb. Much to like me, the, this doesn't need to be a this doesn't need to be marketed as a power bomb. It just needs to be marketed as a masterclass in blending lajaro because it is smooth. It is flavor forward in terms of the palate. It's got a great bold nose on the retro hell. I've got to say this. If if you don't retro hell, you're going to miss 50% of the profile of this cigar because the retro hell on this thing is beautiful. And I will say this, uh, I, I will add on to that. If you are drinking a good coffee stout, which normally I'm like, just give me a fucking stout. I don't need all these flavors. But in this case, because I know what I'm doing, it actually well, – like I said it doesn't. I just grabbed it because the name and the movie tie-in. But I lucked out between the sweetness of the stout, the uh, coffee profile of the stout, mixed with that coffee presence that you're getting in this cigar. Man, those flavors are just – they're almost indistinguishable, and it's amped up. I mean, yeah, it's it, a great it, profile to get. But
2: I'm, I'm getting – I'm, I'm with you because the dark, fruity nature of the triple is – really playing into that sweetness that I that, you know that was there but it, I think it's pulling it out of that cigar yeah. I think this this is a, a cigar that's made to be paired with a, a a dark complex beer with some other things going on Yeah. Yax, how's it how's it treating you with that IPA because I I think without that that accent of fruit and heaviness. It, I think it's really giving me the sweetness from the cigar.
1: Plus, you also got that malt profile coming in there that's got yeah, that I nice mean, little meatiness taste it's a, in
2: there. It's a good night of smoking, boys. Yaks? No, I love it. Uh, my palate has initially on this beer because of the spiciness, I could pick up that it had, you know, the spicy peppers in it, but my palate has acclimated. So, at this point, I'm just drinking an IPA. Okay. But that has not really interfered with the cigar. That The sweetness, that coffee, a uh, little bit for me, like, you know, just I guess maybe playing with that IPA, I, I, I've been getting just that other hint of chocolate. But that amount of the harrow, I like it. But like, you know, Tut said, as it was, you know, described as being a, you know, a bomb of, of this and it's not really getting there. I'm, it's like, you know, but it's still a fantastic cigar. It really it's is smooth, smooth. And, and, and it has to be commended. At, it's not easy to roll a nine inch cigar. Yeah. Um, and, and I like that. I like that. I mean, it, you know, construction I, has it, been great. You yeah.
0: You know
2: that the, <laughs> the first two inches were fantastic as it was just that, that, the, the the spice just went straight up and then it has just mellowed. It's the other. Yeah, it's been full bodied all the way. The, the strength has as wavered between medium and full, which uh, it kind of comes and goes, which with a nine inch cigar would be weird if it didn't have some but blow. Like, you in know, it. And I will agree, you know, that retro hell is if you're not doing it, you're missing it. You're missing yeah. so much. You've got to counter that earthiness, that that sweetness and that you know the the coffee with that strength on the retro hell you got to mix it in there man it's a nice journey it's a nice journey and i'll come back to it for sure um you took
3: a journey on my nine inches last night (laughs) kate (laughs) damn you connery oh that day is mine (laughs)
2: After the interview, a huge party takes place with a live band playing, gospel singing, very uh, energetic gospel. Oh, you're going to love this band. And lots of dancing. And as Sam observes, all this. By song, the way,
1: the uh, singer, the, the lady singing tonight, yeah. uh, her last name is Tuttle. Oh. No did relation.
2: Not, did no not relation. know that. No relation? I don't know. Wait, did you actually do some research?
1: I uh, looked through the credits because I was trying to find out the song at the very beginning of this in the opening credits. Uh, it's called The Heartbeats by The Knife. It's very good. It was released in 2012. And uh no, I saw I saw that I mean Tuttle is such a distinct name. When I saw it in the credits, I was like who's that? Oh, okay.
3: Okay.
2: All right. Well, uh elderly African American folks, young white kids, they're all clapping and smiling together. Sam turns to, he kind of turns the corner on the Eden Eden Parish. He tells Jake the camera, he tells Jake who's behind the camera. He
1: oh, understood- can, I, can I go off on a on a totally unrelated tangent? Yeah, give me
2: one second. Let me finish this okay. up. All right. He tells Jake behind the camera that he's turned the corner on Eden's Parish. He understands why people wouldn't live here. So that's a wrap on the story, right? Right. They're done. But Tuck, you have something to say.
1: Okay. So as I'm watching this scene and everybody's getting together, and that's the one of the beautiful things about spiritualism is that it brings a whole bunch of different disassociated people together, or it can. And notice I'm being very dis, I'm being very, I'm deliberately separating religion from spiritualism. Uh, but spiritualism can bring a whole bunch of different walks of life together. And that's one thing that I've always loved about cigars. I've always loved that so many different people can come together regardless of race, economic status, you know, background, and just enjoy cigars in these lounges lounges and and get behind each other and relate to each other over their love of cigars and trust me i have i have seen deep weird ass conversations in these cigar lounges that are taboo you know you don't talk politics in the cigar lounge no you in a cigar lounge you can but you're smoking cigars so everybody's cool about it you can talk about religion you can talk about some some of the taboo stuff because you're all bonding there around cigars. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's the and great, I want to protect that part. because I'm concerned that politics is re- leeching into that culture and that it's going to become like cigars is conservative culture. And that's not what cigars are about. Cigars shouldn't be a republican thing or a democrat thing a conservative thing or a liberal thing it's just a thing we all we all used to could go to a cigar lounge and bond over the cigars despite being from different political aspects and much like everything in our fucking nation now we're starting to see politics intrude on that and i just want to make sure or just at least give voice don't fuck up my cigar lounge. I, I The think cigar if, lounge is very sacred to me, and I want I, to keep it that
2: way. I, I think, and, and this speaks to me personally, because uh, in my little village of 3,000 here in Central Texas, we just had a cigar lounge open up on Main Street in the last week, which is awesome, uh, especially considering what's going on in the world today, to open up a, a lounge for people to gather. That, that That's you know not an easy thing to do. Um, I think Tut, as long as you keep showing up and are a easygoing but steady voice for what, you know, if they want to talk about politics and you got to, you all have a cigar in your hand and a drink in your hand, and you are willing to to talk, I hope, as long as we keep showing up to the lounge, as long as we keep not just kind of receding into our shoulders and being like yeah and echoing their points just to have you know i just want to be here and smoke my goddamn cigar that's the time just to to kind of just speak your piece and to give your your voice and i think from my experiences around other cigar smokers when you are sharing a, around that communal thing of lighting leaves on fire and enjoying that moment one of my greatest memories is I dropped my wife off at a baby shower in Houston many years ago and I had two hours to kill. So I went to a local cigar lounge and I sat down and when I'm watching college football and this older gentleman, probably early seventies starts waxing conservative something. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, and I came at my, my uh, you know, left-leaning viewpoint and this was all while watching the college football game it it was all kind of centered around football and he kind of laughed and I kind of laughed and we actually kind of had it he's like well you can't believe and this was this was like I said 10 years ago before the 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 Trump craze kind of um tore us all you know made us all enemies and and When your leader is telling you that you're enemies, that's that's kind of a hard hurdle to get past. But we weren't there yet. We could still disagree and laugh at each other and not be enemies. And for two hours, I sat there with this old guy and we drank and smoked and it was. He'd be like, "Well, you know, this and this," and I'd be like, "Well, you know, I've got a friend who's this and this," and it it was just a beautiful. I love that. I, I don't know I, if I I, I, ch- I, I don't that. know I don't know if I swayed that old bastard's mind on anything. It doesn't really I'm, matter. It didn't matter. It was just that we were able to coexist with different viewpoints. We actually talked a little politics while we drank and smoked for 2 hours and it was a cool thing. And we we've, Not- se- we've seen it, boys, across the country. We've we've traveled so much and cigars are a unifying thing whether black and white or this and that. I'm with you, Tud. I don't want to see that lost as much as someone who should be respected but I don't respect is telling them not to respect differing voices, and I think the inherent i hope the inherent nature of uh what makes us good Americans is at the end of the day, we're your neighbor. There was a time when our opinion traveled just that far. It's our opinion.
0: That's
2: and you it. Could, and you could still respect somebody for having a different one.
3: You can completely disagree with another individual on in anything, but that's their opinion, and that's fine.
2: Well... I don't Stan.
1: know. The Polynesian ranch sauce is a little bit Stan,
3: weird. It's, it's dicey. It's dicey, but I'm still gonna go out there and say it's okay. You know, it's okay. not
1: it's No, not, I'm fo- I'm following your lead. I'm following not, your I'm lead. Gonna,
3: it's not and I tell you what, Tut. I'm gonna tell you this right now. I think I'm gonna get some nuggets tomorrow and eat them sons of just plain and dry like I normally do.
2: The sa- the sad the thing. thing is the sad thing is I threw out the Polynesian sauce. Mm-hmm. I think that's what the kids eat. I don't even use that goddamn sauce. I've they never even, had Polynesian sauce. Polynesian sauce. I've never had Polynesian sauce. They Did you make that up? Eat. Does Polynesian sauce exist? Yes, it's one of their most popular dipping sauces.
3: Okay, Hey, take it easy. Take it easy. I'm not here to... Hey, <laughs> take it her. easy.
1: You don't even know you're doing it, Cade.
3: Okay? <laughs> doctor,
2: doctor, you don't even know you're judging me. That's the way you're trained, and I don't blame you. Don't you don't
3: even know you're eating your nuggets without sauce. That's just how you are. I'm all... God damn it, he's right. <laughs>
1: Dude, I was so, I mean, I, I had all these sauces lined up, and it's just, uh, I, I had to eat them all of them. I didn't want it.
3: But hey, I got know to- this commune of people wants to eat their nuggets with Polynesian sauce, and they're all happy. I mean, who am I to say anything about it?
2: <laughs> that's where who Sam paid for who, who paid for all those sauces? Shut up,
0: Yak yeah, boy. That wasn't,
2: that,
3: that wasn't. That was
2: that's nice. where Sam is right now. If these people are having fun and living their best lives... Hey, by the way, uh, night, Florian. Catch you later. Thanks for hanging out. Who am I to say anything is where Sam's at. So that's a wrap on their story, right? These people are happy. They paid their own money to build this thing. Everything's good, right? Cue the credits. End of story. Nope. Later, boys. Because just then, that little mute girl, Savannah, finds them again and hands Sam and Jake a piece of paper that reads, please help us before running off. And at this point, boys, we are exactly halfway through the film at 46 minutes, and boom, instantly, when she hands him that piece of paper, and Jake's camera goes down and puts light on it, that's scary shit. And I don't say this a lot in a movie.
3: That's scary shit. And that is what all of you are saying... Doc went to the embassy, and goddamn it, he knew better than we did.
1: <laughs> I have a big problem with this scene, by the way.
3: But as Luke pointed out, Tut, that's exactly what happened in Jonestown. No, no, it's no, it's no note for, for note. note. What? What could you possibly have a problem
2: with the scene?
1: Man, uh, sound design, mainly sound design, and then the instant. Uh, I don't know. I would have liked to seen a little bit of a transition between. Yeah. Happy go lucky to just instant shaky cam. Mm -hmm. And then the the sounds, the soundscape of it just went nuts. It was just like,
2: (laughs) no, honestly, this started with me. And I'm jumping ahead my notes here, but I'll address it now. This started with me when the father entered the pavilion for the interview. Everything was so even keel. Everyone's happy here. Everything is gentle the music when we first see the father turns to the sinister droning. I would have liked to have that reveal that he was not on the up and up and not the, the true Christian father that he's been portrayed to be. I would have liked the filmmakers to let him reveal that to me rather than the bad guy music. And when, you, she, when she gives him that note, to me, it's already been. You, you are exactly you, right. You, you came don't at, need.
1: You have these great fucking actors that are delivering yeah. these great performances. Correct. Get that music out of the way. No. Put it, or put it put it as low as that carpet is. Don't make it be the signal that all correct. hell's breaking correct. loose.
2: You, but you but you had a problem with it here. I had a problem with it ten minutes earlier when yeah. the father showed up. Because they give him bad guy music, bad guy soundscape, I should say, when he arrives. I want him to give me that vibe, not the music.
1: Yeah, and see, I, that's weird because I didn't, I didn't get that when he arrived. Oh, oh, yeah. It was, oh, it, yeah. was me, it was. To me, it was like a, it was like a light switch off. No, 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 no. When yeah. he,
2: when he makes his way through the crowd, the music takes yeah. okay, a, a sinister turn, and I'm like, I want him to give me that, not, not you, composer. Yeah, but but honestly, that's more on director than composer because the director didn't right. use that music there. Even if the composer you give him the film and he gives it to you there, you don't need to put it in the movie. Right, especially when you're the editor right. and director. So yes, but I had a problem with it there. But yes, you're right. There could have been a ramp up. I don't when- mind. I don't
1: mind the design of it. I just mind the placement of it. There could have been a ramp up going the into little, the chaos that's but, coming in.
2: But I will say this. When the little girl gives him that note, because Sam's on such a high, I like this place now. And she hands him that. They're, they're almost home free. They're almost... Right. They leave in the morning. What could possibly fuck this up? This little girl with this piece of paper. I thought, movie-wise, it was great. Well, I mean...
1: It's 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 great because, like I said, it's or like we've said, it's note for note for Jonestown. I mean, yes, at this time, at this time, I'm like, especially, like I had my I had my I had my suspicions when when Gene when but, the father comes in, I'm like, oh, he's a Jim Jones character. But when that note came in, I'm like, oh, this is
2: we're we're at Jonestown. But the fact that when they switch to that sinister, heavy-handed music when she hands him that note. I appreciate it because we are now exactly 46 minutes into this film, the halfway point. We spent half this movie introducing this community, doing everything. Boom. That note, enter scary music. All of a sudden.
1: Yeah, buckle up because here we go.
2: Sam has to. Us as an audience has to buckle up, but also Sam and Jake have to buckle up. We're not gonna get to go to sleep tonight because this chick just handed us this note. I'd love it. Yeah, and,
1: and to what doctor was saying earlier, what do we as the TNCC in this position do when we're handing that note? I know doctor's off at the embassy drinking my ties, cool chilling with the
3: ambassador over there. Well I'm getting think, Marines armed up and ready to come get you, Tut. I think
2: that's unfair. Thank you, Doc. Tut, Tut, I think that's unfair if what are we as the TNT? Oh well, no, we're
1: still we're back in the states drinking beer. I mean, hey, come
2: on, dude. If we're at a Drew Estate barn smoker and a little girl comes up to us with a note saying, "Please we're, help me," we're,
1: we're burying that shit
2: somewhere. <laughs> I'm going to that outhouse, that very nice, uh, you know, air conditioned outhouse, flushing that shit down the toilet and pretending like I never saw it.
1: Yeah, 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 Yax and I would never even see the note. Kate okay. yes. would just looked at it. What's that, Kate? Oh, it's just a thank you note.
3: That's what that's what's great about this movie. It's putting you in the moment. You're like, I'm flushing the note. Okay, everything's okay here. But these guys after back to the Pious Riot
2: concert. These guys one are characters in a horror movie. They're not going to do that. Two, they're journalists, not podcasters. They're going to do something about it. As Sam rushes back to the pavilion where the residents are now swaying back and forth, I love this scene.
3: Fucking dumbass journalists. I
2: hate it. Dude, they're swaying back, singing a very slow, somber... No. Slow place him with their hands in the air as he's looking around for the little girl, Savannah. The scene works, the music, and the sound doesn't. The film immediately takes a sinister core because the score is now joining that hymn. It's not just a hymn now. It, there's a, a rumbling underneath it. Oh, and the two guards with guns that we only saw when they entered Eden's Parish are now suddenly present and account for as they watch our two vice heroes closely with their guns. As Sam and Jake frantically searched through the cabins to find an open... Uh, they're looking for Patrick. We got to get out of here. This chick just gave us this note. They go into the office where they find an open safe with everyone's passports in it, but their snooping is interrupted by Caroline, who asks them what the hell they're doing here. Sam says, we're looking for your brother, Patrick. And she kind of giggles and says, well, I introduced him to two of Eden Parish's uh, hot chicks, and they're currently having a good time in one of the bungalows. When Sam says he doesn't remember threesomes being taught in Sunday school, Caroline kind of giggles and says, well... Everyone has to sin every once in a while, right? As long as the father approves. Sam says, he approves of your brother getting laid? (laughs) Good question. To which she says, one must not question what's best for the parish. In fact, Caroline says, she thinks Patrick would love to stay and live here. He's a photographer by trade, so he can make a photography book about what they're doing here in the community. And... She's rambling very quickly in their speech like she's jacked up on coke. And their rich parents could send them money to support them because Eden Parish needs a new influx of cash to continue to grow. And there it is. Everything with organized religion, money. She wants money from her parents to come down here and support them. Every utopia doctor needs money.
3: And if we can all fill our roles out here, here's how I see it. I'm at the embassy trying to get the Marines to get on the helicopter with me in the morning. You and Tut are searching around. And I see Yaks fucking knee deep in Poontag at this place. <laughs> Me too. What, I, 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 I'm not judging. I just see, like, where's Cody? And you're like, well, we sent him off. And Cody's just got, like, three or four of these bitches. And he's just fucking slipping. He's just smacking off the head. With you the know,
2: head the dick. in its own way, it's almost an insult. What would I be doing? <laughs> well, he's over there. I, maybe I have, hey, you know what? Maybe I have standards.
1: No, no. Actually, that wouldn't happen because I would have been sitting there going, "Cody, cab's coming now."
2: That choppers. guy right
3: there. That's choppers. him. Choppers.
2: It's choppers. That guy. Cody, chopper's coming. We gotta go.
3: Cody, I know you have standards. It's like 12 it. hours. It's not even it's dark right now, dude. It's like Cody, chop- let's go. The, chopper- <laughs> the choppers coming at the choppers coming at 8 a.m. You've got like oh, seven, eight hours to get some pale. Oh, I'm so sorry. Four of them. You're writhing around like a goddamn pretzel <laughs> with his fucking pussy. I still think I stopped
2: you from making a mistake, but I'm still sorry for it. Oh no, Dad. it was it was definitely a mistake. After I, you know, the next Doctor, day, yeah. Doctor, the guys are uh, exposing a lot of our sure. our past sins. When we were in Vegas, uh, Yak Boy had. Oh God, Cody fucked a bunch of strippers? No, no, uh, not, no, 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 no. No, because Tuttle was there. We we were at we were at a party. Wait, you
3: stopped him from fucking a bunch of strippers?
2: We were yes. Uh, We were at a industry party and, uh, no, not strippers. Uh, Cody had made nice with a very lovely woman. And we're like, whereas I was like, God damn, fucking A, good for Cody. I was oblivious. Our our Uber showed up. And as Cody was trying to talk to this woman, Tuttle was like, Cody, come on. We got to get in the cab. Let's go. Come on, Cody. 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 You have to get in the car right now. Let's go. (laughs) I'm literally stepping in front of your cock and blocking you.
3: Let's go, come on, let's do this. See where? Yeah, put on your hood. Whereas if I had been same, there,
2: same. Well, uh, it can't be. It can't be too shameful because that same girl, when we see her working the floor the next day at the trade show, she now then has on her big fucking wedding ring. Hero, hero. So, well, doctor, what is what, what do we get when we mix hero with asshole? He, ass hero. Tuttle yeah.
3: hole. Ass, he, ass yeah. No, you <laughs> get tuttle. tuttle. He's a hero. He's a hero hole. <laughs> OK, so you know what? I still would have had your best. <laughs> I bet. Like asshole I, plus hero equals Tuttle. Since I would have been in Vegas and not an American embassy, I would have just adopted an English accent and been like, Senator Leshka, <laughs> Senator the car's waiting i see you're otherwise engaged i should be waiting for you in the lobby of the downtown omni hotel do carry on senator yeah. uh, he's a senator and like, oh, he likes to travel mm-hmm. as we say in the british isles incognito <laughs> Dude, I bring the doctor everywhere well, hey, speaking of Cody and
2: Sinning.
1: Oh, by the way, I, I do have to, I do have to interject. You know, you were talking about how you really like this young lady as an actress. Before, to me, this is where I came on board. I was just like, before she was nice, she was affable. I liked her, but this is where the acting. I was like, oh, dude, because she sold it without going over the top. A lot of times when you get these high characters, and she was high. She was baked. And a lot of times they go overboard. And kudos to the director for not like trying to do like some weird, you know, uh, visual thing to it. She did it great. She she soft played, but It it was instantly recognizable to anybody who's ever been around stuff. It was dude, she's high. And, was, but,
2: but she didn't go
1: overboard with
2: it. No, it was all in her eyes. And speaking of sinning, uh, like I said, Caroline seems very drunk in this scene as she sways around while talking to them. Before the granted, she's an alcoholic. She joined this group to be a sober living facility.
3: And uh, we'd know one when we saw one, huh? Oh,
2: no, we can smell our own, boys. <laughs> uh, before they can talk to her more about Patrick's pain <laughs> and their parents' potential donation. The father appears in his doorstep in the background behind Caroline with his shirt unbuttoned, Caroline, I need you. I have to go. I have to go service the father. The father tells the boys it's late. And while you're welcome to snoop around some more, you should be careful when you're putting your hands in the dog bowl. They just might get bit. But do what you got to do. Feel free. He's still... You boys have reign of this. Whatever you want to do.
3: Oh God, he's so good. Yeah. And that oh, scene that you were here at the embassy.
2: That scene with him in the background and that doorstep was so creepy.
1: Yeah, it was very, very well shot. It was extremely well shot. Well, before we because
2: get... he's not a menacing guy.
0: No, he's not at
2: all. No, but... he's my he's my grandpa Cade. He is every everyone who's ever had an alcoholic grandpa. He's that alcoholic grandpa. But the way that they shot him was very sinister
1: and it it exuded that sinisterism. Not only just sinister, but just power. Like you knew that if he snapped his fingers, those two guys with the AK forty sevens were gunning those reporters down.
2: You're getting uh, I have to you're you're getting I've, you're you're getting that gist that he has that kind of weld. And before we move on. Because from here on out, things get fucking crazy. Uh, I want to bring clothes to the cigar because I, I, I'm with you, Todd I'm burned towards the end here. Um, and I I want to say I got a little bit of the, the the tea in that final third. Once that spice come down nose, the tea presence kind of presents itself a little bit more in the cigar. Um, earth coffee, that green tea, that um, present Sometimes bold, but otherwise tempered on the nose, was so nice and necessary for this long ass journey we took on the cigar. But I want to talk about price point. What would you guys pay for a highly enjoyable, well constructed nine inches of paradise? Nine inches? See, I've never
1: priced a nine inch fucking cigar. Ah, uh, holy crap! You priced my nine inches last
3: <laughs> night, total. <Tuttle. laughs>
2: damn you connery (laughs) um man Man, tell you first all
3: right
1: (laughs) man i almost want to go into the 15 dollar range uh maybe even the set i'll go
2: 17.50 the Un Presidente Brimstone. Top
1: with good. the caveat that I have never priced a nine-inch cigar. El Presidente Vitola. seventeen fifty. dollars Yak boy.
2: Man, that was... I, I was going to do basically around the same. I was going to say it's probably going to be like 18 So you guys are $0.50 cents a piece. $0.50 cents apart here. Uh, I was going
3: to do $2 an inch. I'll go 20.
2: (laughs) I am going to go a little lower. I'm going to go 15. Uh, Let me check my notes. What about that? $15. Damn, you're smart. Fifteen.
1: Not bad for a nine inch. I can't remember what the uh what the other Vitola of the brimstone was. I thought that was about thirteen fifteen. I want to say it was
2: like 12, 15 ish. 15 12, ish? The, the, the largest one, yeah. Um
3: you guys lit that bitch up about two and a half hours ago. So that's that the same. yeah, for easily a two plus hour smoke. I can't
2: I think this is the the standard in the brimstone line. I think it gives you the, the flair profile, but my God, man, for 15 bucks, two and a half hours, two hour smoke can go with any, if it can handle my triple, triple, if it can handle my, uh, Hershey beer, if it can handle Tut's fucking imperial maple pecan style. Yeah. And, and, uh, Yak boys weird IPA with jalapenos and this thing can handle anything. And, uh, it's a just. It's just a really smooth, full-bodied smoke. I and agree with you. It's my favorite expression of the blend. I I I I love it as as the this is the
0: brimstone for me.
3: You couldn't handle me in the Hershey last evening. <laughs> Damn you, doctor. <laughs> oh, and I
2: should say, remember when purchasing some fine Southern Draw or other premium cigars from FamousSmokeShop.com. Use your new favorite promo code, TNCC20, at checkout where it will knock $20 off your purchase, $100 or more. That's There's nothing uh, holy. The only thing holy about that is when you see your savings, you'll say, holy shit. There you go. I saved a lot of money. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. God, I
1: like this cigar a lot. Okay, for follow-up cigars, I shouldn't smoke the Desert Rose. Uh,
2: if you have something else, do it because we might get to that Desert Rose before the Okay, you.
1: I'll, I'll have to go inside and get some. And and honestly,
2: the Desert Rose is such a delicate Connecticut, like that. That wouldn't be fair to it to follow it up with.
1: It this wouldn't car. be fair, but that's the way I am.
2: I know, but please, unlike last episode, tell me you have something else in the coppers. You can't. oh, can...
1: I'll have to go in there and get it, but yeah. Okay. I'll, uh... Alright. I'll All have right. to go in there in the dog bowl and make sure I don't get Alright. Do uh,
2: well, you know, that's just your the way you're geared. I don't blame you. That's not your fault. That's just the way You it don't is. even know you're doing it. You don't even know you're doing it. The reporters from Vice Media are freaking the fuck out. They don't know what's going on. For a sober living facility, Caroline sure as shit wasn't sober as she wobbled her way inside the father's cabin to bone the old First guy. of
1: all, would any TNCC member be going to investigative journal
2: a sober living facility? No, that's why t- these are movie characters and not us. Oh, okay. Yeah, we, we would never... Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, so Jake says, what's the point of this place? If, if she's fucked up and she's supposed to be getting sober, what the hell's the point of this whole place? Then Savannah, her mother, and a few other residents corner Sam and Jake behind one of the dark buildings and beg the men to take them with them when they leave in the morning. The mother tells Sam the father would kill them all if he found out they were talking to them. They're prisoners here. And she shows him the giant scars on Savannah's neck to prove it. She's not mute from birth. She's mute from the abuse, from the trauma, the trauma she's gotten from captors.
1: And now we got a serious problem. You just showed me a beat up kid.
2: Yeah, and he and Sam has a kid on the way, so he's got this kind of fatherly instinct brewing. They hear the two armed guards approaching and the terrified residents sneak away just in time. Sam is pissed. His emotions are running wild. Like I said, as a soon-to-be father, he wants to take Savannah with him on the helicopter tomorrow morning. But Jake tries to reason with his friend, his co-worker, Look, we've been through a lot of stuff. We're not the Red Cross. That's not why we're here. We're here for the story and the story alone. And I... This is what cameramen I, do. I can't stress enough, though, that I believe this interaction between them. It's like, if you've actually... Cause they I said know, they, you've
1: heard it a lot of times from your cameraman.
2: They, Yeah. Tut, it's 3 a.m. I'm going to go back down and drink some whiskey with Pedro. That's not why we're here actually no you you dealt with me after the three a m Pedro whiskey <laughs> event actually, you don't dissuade me you to do- carry me through three states. you don't dissuade me from doing any stupid shit. you encourage it by, <laughs> way, by the way uh just on a side note, uh Tuesday night Cigar Club is looking for a cameraman who might have some some kind of scruples um, <laughs> that could lead us to some kind of journalistic integrity. Um, well, hey, it doesn't matter because just then the father's voice comes on the loudspeakers in the middle of the night. That's all for tonight. It's been wonderful. Return to your cottages and be thankful for the joy we have in our lives. God bless you all. And the speaker shut off. Doctor, I love the loudspeakers addressing the entire community because it reminded me of our beloved Halloween 3. When those speakers in Santa Mira go off, it's time to go to bed. Go into your homes. There's something about the loudspeaker voice. It just reminded me of Halloween 3, and it made me happy. Did you get that, Doctor?
3: I didn't think of it during the movie. Now that you bring it up, it's a good analogy. But doesn't he also say that he needs Wendy and the cleanup crew to meet him at the pavilion?
2: He yep. does. They're up to something, which we don't know yet. Um, but I, I just, I like that. It's to me that loud, that that soothing voice over loudspeakers at night is just. I you like want me the, to get really crazy? I like that aesthetic. It's calming. It, it, it's
1: government. It's the government emergency system. It's the government broadcast. Everything's fine. Nothing to see here. Put on your mask.
2: Put on your mask.
3: Yeah, there's a Halloween 3 parallel there. time for the evening giveaway.
2: Okay. As the journalists try unsuccessfully to get some sleep before their helicopter arrives in eight hours, Jake turns his camera on for a testimonial as he lies in bed. He's like, yeah, you know what? I just can't sleep. He says calmly that he's actually kind of scared. It's the most scared I've been in a long time and I'm ready to go home. He says softly. He confesses to the camera. He's scared. And I believed every word that he said, which doctor we've seen a lot of these in camera testimonials in horror movies, but I actually believe that he was a journalist who had seen some other things and he's actually scared. Because of the way he presented it, I, you know what? I'm actually it, it catches them by surprise. I'm actually kind of scared. I believed it. I believed Joe Swanberg in that moment.
3: Yeah, I was right there with him. Uh, I, I, I like Swanberg, and, and I like that scene. And dude, and, uh,
2: the the guys, the the reporters really nailed this character. I, I did too. Early the next morning, Sam and Jake uh, walk over to the pavilion where a small group of very upset residents are arguing with Caroline and some others. Patrick explains that these people want to leave with them. He's told them repeatedly the helicopter can only hold the original passengers, but they're not hearing it. They want out. Caroline is doing her best to deal with it all. She walks over and explains it's no big deal. The community just hasn't had any visitors in over a year. They're just stressing out. It's fine. It's nothing that Sam and Jake should concern themselves with. You are totally allowed to leave, and you got to leave now. And we are.
1: And we are. The TNCC is leaving now. No, no,
2: no. TNCC, we are not journalists. We are not actual cigar media. I'm going to just mess up. We're not cigar media. Embassy. We're getting the hell out of there. (laughs) Fuck
1: this. Wait. Well, Sam hey, says, "Hang hey, hey on one second.
2: Wait, fuck <laughs> this media shit. No, we're out of here." Sam says, "We are allowed to leave, right?" And she's like, "Of course, of course." But you gotta leave now, like this. Then, is okay,
1: we're we're good. Now. Where's Yax? Where's
2: Yax? Yax is on the helicopter. These people can't. No, you're with the orgy people. Caroline says they can't. On leave. the helicopter. Their families are here. They can't leave them behind. You guys just need to get to that helicopter right now. This sounds like good advice, especially for us who would already be on the helicopter. But when Sam sees the nurse... Cody, helicopter! Now!
3: Cody stepping stepping out of one of those cottages with little Native American breechcloth on, smoking a cigarette. What's the hurry?
2: Yak Boy is always our wild card. But It sounds like good advice. But when Sam sees the nurse manhandling little girl Savannah, he runs over to them despite Jake pleading with him again and again. Don't get involved, Sam. Don't get involved. But no, Sam sees this wounded girl and he wants to stay behind and try to save Savannah. So he tells Jake, go ahead, go alone on the truck, tell the helicopter to wait. I'm going to figure the shit out. Again, these are guys with souls not the tuesday night cigar Club. and they're also morons you yes. know the only thing i thought in this whole sentence i'm gonna figure this out was like you don't have an ak-47 what the hell are you gonna do this leads me to one of my favorite scenes in the film as if the father was gonna let jake get back to the chopper and tell the world what's going on right but that train of thought is why I was totally caught off guard when the armed guards did take Jake back to the helicopter. I kept waiting for them to stop him, and they don't. And they had their marching orders. Tut, I thought you would love this. There's a great tense POV shot filmed from a camera mounted on top of the truck. We can only see the rusted hood of the vehicle below us and the dirt road ahead as it creeps towards the helicopter. I kept waiting for it to stop. But it never did. It gets to the end of the road. And I'm like, oh, wow, they're actually going to let this guy get. But I just kept waiting. That Dude, that's good filmmaking, man. I kept waiting for them to stop, and it never did. I just only, before Jake can talk to the pilot, he gets off, and he runs across the clearing to the helicopter. As he approaches the pilot, those guards then jump out of the truck and shoot the pilot from the edge of the forest. Wing him and start firing like crazy at Jake as he runs for his life. But he's a good cameraman as he keeps rolling the entire time.
1: Okay. Hang Uh, on. All right. uh, A couple of things. uh, All right.
2: All
1: One thing, uh, because I'm so familiar with the story, I knew that they would probably get him right at the helicopter, not before it, uh, because that's the way it went down. I mean, they were on the airstrip, they were loading up, the tractor comes out. The gunmen open up on the congressman there so i kind of figured that they'd probably get to the helicopter that they would do that thing and then the 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 second thing was just that i'm kind of going i'm chan I, I started channeling my inner doctor why keep rolling when the bullets start flying Drop the fucking
2: camera and run. Because, Tut, unlike most found footage films that we watch and we've talked about on the show, it didn't bother me. Because Sam and Jake had already said they covered war zones. And they've been to serious shit. So he's probably an experienced cameraman. And keeping the footage rolling was no matter. He was trained to do that. Unlike the movies we watch, where it's a teenage girl who somehow yeah. keeps rolling when a ghost is ch- is chasing her, that's weird. These guys are trained to keep rolling no matter what. Well, I'm just saying that the. I mean, if you would substitute a
1: trained cameraman to keep the camera rolling when the ghost is chasing him, I, I don't know. I I believe,
2: just I kind of think that I you would just drop that, the I, camera I, and
1: run at some I, point.
2: I believe that his training geared him to always keep it rolling because that's his job. He's a he's a war zone investigative journalist. When we watch a horror movie, like a paranormal thing, where the kids keep filming when shit's going wrong, that seems weird to me. Yeah. That's his job. And he's done it before because we had a little bit of backstory, not a lot of backstory, but a little bit. Yeah. Where they had been in war zones. And you're in a war zone... Yeah. That footage that you keep rolling is what's going to make it into the final thing. I get that. So that, I actually believed it for once. When the guards lose Patrick in the trees as they're shooting at him, one of the men we see through the camera that gets put down. One of the men puts his gun down and asks the other guy, what are we doing here? And his partner tells him, this is the end that father warned us about. Nobody can leave here alive.
1: I thought that was a little bit forced. I mean, if you're a gunman at that point, you know what your job is. I thought that was a little bit of exposition there for the audience.
2: I think it was kind of necessary for how the what happens later.
1: Yeah. that, that Because, totally- and I will interject this later on, my thoughts.
2: Back at Eden Parish, Caroline is losing her shit as she screams at her brother Patrick that father warned her. They were going to destroy the community from within by coming here, and she didn't listen. She fought for them, and it was a big mistake. He's no longer her family. Her family is here, these people. And stop fucking filming me. She finally loses her goddamn shit at the camera as she grabs it. That's one pissed-off hippie. (laughs) A man with a machete tackles Sam and Patrick to the ground. And as Patrick's camera lies on its side, we see the father calmly approach the group through its lens. All the shouting and chaos on the sides. He tells someone, take the camera. Film what I'm going to do next because it's important. We cut back to the helicopter where we learn that Jake is alive. He actually snuck around and evaded those gunmen. And guess what? So's the helicopter pilot. He's alive. Jake helps the wounded man into the cockpit and the pilot tells him, go get your friends and then we'll all leave together.
1: Ooh, that's one brave helicopter pilot.
2: Would y'all go back for me or just tell the pilot I was dead and get the fuck out of there? Well, first of all, if
1: I'm the pilot and I'm bleeding out my fucking arm, I'm like, man, I've, I don't know how long he I've got to I live.
2: Can, he says I can still fly this, but rather than leave now... He's an admirable man, unlike the TNCC. Go get your friends, and we'll all leave together. <laughs> would you, as, as Jake the cameraman, would you be like, oh, it doesn't matter, they're all dead, and just leave? Or would you come back and get me?
3: See, it comes full circle to my original plan, which shows why I'm right all along, because I had spent the night in comfort at the American embassy. I didn't show up with that guy and his fucking flea bird. I showed up with a gunship and half-dozen fucking Marines. Now who's smart? Thank you, Doctor. Uh, the way I would look I at it is stats, that if I, was, Marines. if
1: I was Tut the cameraman, I would want to, because of our history, I would want to try to go back, and I would want to try to see if I could do something. If I was the helicopter pilot, fuck <laughs> you guys. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> you for Adam. Yeah. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Yeah.
2: Well, admirably, uh, unlike Tut, Jake. Unless, of course, the pilot is like, I don't get paid unless I bring y'all both back. Okay,
1: now, all right, now you're speaking my language.
2: I gave you half a hundred dollar bill when I got on that, (laughs) but I'll give you the other half when we get on the thing. TNCC style. That is TNCC style. We do have a little (laughs) something going on upstairs. Well, yeah. admirably, Jake, the cameraman, wants to both find Sam and, oh, I think, finish this story. Dark-ass beer. Look at that dark-ass it's beer. It's just dark-ass beer, and I love it. So Jake heads back to Eden Parish. Dipshit. A siren blares over the loudspeakers as the father calls out to all of his children to the Come to the pavilion, children. I need you all I need you immediately for something very important. While a small group of ladies prepare huge drums of red fruit punch mixed with cyanide, the father takes the stage. I love you. I gave you all I had, he tells his followers. But there comes a day when the quality of your life matters more than the time you've got left to live. Uh Uh-oh. He blames the journalists. They'll go back and tell lies about Eden Parish. And then their evil government government will swoop in and burn everything down, including all them. If we can't live our life this way, what earthly life is worth living? We knew this day might come. We talked about it. We planned for it. This is the end for us. We are headed for eternal life, he says. Oh, boy as we cut away to a surprisingly calm women and children in the audience, mainly African-American women and children. And after some more preaching, quote fingers, including him pausing to hug an elderly woman in the front row, he orders everyone drink the potion. Syringes full of the red poison are filled for the babies and the infants as paper cups are distributed to everyone else. Because everyone's performance here is so damn believable. It's rough stuff to watch. It's uncomfortable.
3: Yeah.
2: Everyone drinking up, it's, it's, it's rough to watch. And the people it's that difficult. have doubts. There's one little girl who takes a drink of cyanide and, like, smiles because it tastes like fruit punch. And then she licks her lips as she smiles at the camera. That one was really hard. And we watch as one... As the once likable nurse injects the drink into a crying baby's mouth. Take it, take it, take it, father says calmly and repeatedly over the loudspeakers. Oh, and those who refuse to take it that run off, they're shot in the back by the two guys with the AK-47s.
3: Accurate. This is this is all exactly what happened at Jonestown. Exactly. No for no. <clears throat>
2: In the office, he
3: recorded uh, stuff of of Jim Jones because people lived. There were people that hid and got away and ran into the jungle. There were people that escaped and people that hid in their dead bodies. There's recordings of him. Like, well, that would be mother, that would be other. Please, you can hear his voice as he urges them to drink it.
2: That would be us because I'm pretty sure we would all just pretend like we drank it and just lay down and sleep.
3: Not if you're at the embassy with marines.
2: Well,
1: no, those of us who weren't, we would be draping the dead bodies over us. being oh, like, yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I would drape some dead dudes and just, just hey, it's my chance to get. Which like, we
1: actually see later on.
2: I get nine hours of sleep just plain dead. Okay. In the office, a frazzled Caroline tries to force a tied-up Patrick to drink the, her brother, to drink the potion, but he squirms so much he spills the drink. But she has prepared for that as she pulls out a cyanide-filled syringe and injects it into her brother's neck. We watch as a sobbing, rocking Patrick cries in her arms, telling Carolyn he loves her and he doesn't want to die over and over and over again before he eventually croaks.
1: This is where I was on board with the actor.
2: I think, well, no, he does, he does an okay job here. I, I thought I he did a this great point, job on it. I thought up until this point, Patrick was a weak link. The Sam and Jake are so good. And I, I never really got who Patrick was or why he was. They didn't give him anything. They didn't give him anything. And I, and he didn't give us anything. Uh, I thought
1: he gave us everything in this scene, but he dies well. I thought they gave him, I thought he gave us. Everything in this scene because it was extremely uncomfortable for me to watch. I was just like, I mean, he it's obvious he loves his sister. I mean, that's the reason why he came down. He's scared out of his fucking mind now. I and he knows, sh- dude, anytime somebody injects you really weird in the fucking neck, you know something's going down. He, you know, I mean, it just, no, oh, it, dude, it, it, was, it was hard for me to put myself I thought in this scene I thought she was the weakest link because it was just I don't know. I she was so good in the other scenes. I I don't know. It's just it's 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 just such a banana scene that I can't comprehend. Yeah, I I can't comprehend I can't comprehend her actions because I don't understand psycho and I don't understand cult devotion. I understand him and his scared, though. I understand his fear. So, he worked so I pretty- think that's why I was like, yeah. I, I think that's why I gravitated towards him.
2: Well, he actually uh, earned his weight in this film full of great actors with his death scene, um, because before, I he did nothing for me up until this point, yeah. but he, he dies really well. Back outside, the siren is wailing again as people are shot and others are being held down on the ground as the poison potion is forcibly poured down their throats by family and friends. It's pure chaos as the father blasted the loudspeakers. Don't let your families be killed by these terrorists. This is the only remaining way for us to go. This is an active revolution. We'd rather die than go back to their way of life. So lie down, children. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Sleep now. Go to sleep. He tells them. When the father emerges from his cabin, only he and the nurse remain as they look over the field of corpses. Jake finally arrives back at Eden Parish. It's a very long road to get from the helicopter to get back there. He too sees a a sea of dead bodies. He makes his way from cabin to cabin looking for Sam and Patrick. But all he finds are more dead people until he ducks into a bungalow when he hears the armed guards coming. And it's in there that he finds Savannah and her mother. He tells them all they all have to hide under a bed. But the crazed mother is too far gone. She tells Jake she won't let the father hurt Savannah ever again. And then she slices the little girl's neck wide open with a large knife right before the guard enters the door and shoots the mother twice in the head. She chooses to end her daughter's life before they can. That was a hard watch yeah through the especially through the lens of Jake's camera cuz he sets it down so we we see um her basically slice her daughter's neck wide open all good horror movies do that and in this moment of crazy madness i actually think that was a great call i dude it worked. you're not you're, say that you're not gonna take her i'm gonna take her it, it seems so crazed and, and 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 on the surface it's such a cheap kill and it's such a a, a, a dude it worked for me
0: did no no
1: keep going i will elaborate
2: all right tell me when you're ready as jake flees the horrific blood-soaked bungalow he spots caroline walking back into the office he tries to talk her down as she pours gasoline over the office files and paperwork but she is too far gone at this point she mutters that her home her family everything she wants is gone She's got nothing now, so Caroline douses herself in gas and sets herself on fire, which from a digital special effects perspective looked awesome. Her death, setting herself on fire, that looked great. That looked awesome. It did.
3: It really did. uh, No. Painful. But yeah, the the way the scene uh, was I was alive. gonna
2: say out of you know everything that went on, the fact that she didn't drink the punch, instead she went with you know, emulation. Self-emulation is just you There's know. In, I guess for this instance, it worked because you know here she is the most devout follower, I guess. Yeah, but maybe that's what the father told her to do in this situation. When, when, well, I mean, she could, I mean, she obviously she had punch, she had a syringe. She could, when have done the anything. shit goes down, you need to burn my office to the ground and burn yourself. She was trained to do this. Yeah. But I mean, like I said, it's, and it looked awesome. Almost out because I mean, literally, that is the, you know, is described as probably one of the worst ways to die. Why? Yeah. I don't. I don't know where we'll get to it later. So if Tut, your 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 bullshit comment with the uh, the mother choosing to end her daughter's life rather than them go in go in talk about. Okay, it. let me let
1: me open the door and let y'all into the cynical world of Tut. Uh oh. I think this entire project came about because they had these death scenes in mind. Uh, they had the mother slitting the daughter's throat. They had the self-imulation. they had the uh, gunshot into the mouth that comes up later. I think that they all had I think that there was a conversation between these groups and between Eli Roth, credited in the screenplay so focused on the gory aspect of these deaths that they wanted to, that that was their focal, their their thing is, I think that there was a conversation, they were drinking beers one night and they were like, man, you know, have you ever thought about that Jonestown, what it was like to be in the, those final moments? And, you know, they, they envisioned these deaths and then they basically wrote the screenplay to showcase these deaths at the end. It's just so weird that a mother who has been trying to protect her child for so fucking long, instead of getting her child out, decides that she's going to slit her throat in a very screened way so that you see everything is there. The girl that self-emulates, instead of drinking the poison like everything else, you know, she could have lit everything, all the files on fire and then drank the poison. No, she decides to light herself on fire, which is one of the most horrific ways a human can die. And then the way that the gunshot is fu- is filmed at the end with, I mean, showing all of the aftermath. It's like, it's my, it's, it's the reason why I don't really dig Eli Roth. It is just, he's all about the gore. He's all about these shock scenes, and the story falls apart. I think that the story coming from, coming from, the note pass from when the girl hands him the note. I think this whole film kind of falls apart and is just to get you to these gore scenes because I'm sorry, Jake is walking through the middle of this compound in an open field where AK-47 toting guards are shooting people. And he's out in the middle of the open, completely filming everything, shouting out, hey, is anybody here? Pop, 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 pop. Hey, where's Jake? Pop, 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 pop Sam. Pop, no, pop, pop, pop,
2: pop, pop.
1: And I just don't, I just don't dig it. I, I just like, no, that guy would've been hugging the tree line. He would've been trying to come in from an well, angle. Well, you're, you're talking just,
2: about stuff. You're talking about stuff that hadn't happened yet. Well,
1: that, that's, but that's, that's, that's why I was going to hold on to the end. And you called me and you told me it, I needed to get it now. It just, to me, the whole whole end thing falls apart. It's a note-for-note telling of Jonestown, but I think what they were doing was talking about Jonestown, imagining these death scenes, and then doing this entire project to showcase these death scenes.
3: That's a great point, Tut. And I don't think the movie falls apart after the note-giving. I don't think it falls apart... Even as you get to the end, but your proposition that the entire thing was created to just show those gory deaths at the end that's something I did not think about. And now that you've brought it up and I'm thinking about it, I'm not
1: poo pooing that. I mean, I could be wrong, but like I said, look who's credited in the screenplay.
2: No, as a producer.
1: No, it was it was on the screenplay as well.
3: I'm not poo-pooing the idea that what Tut said. That uh, I I really enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed it throughout. I enjoyed AJ Bowen. Enjoyed Joe Swanberg. Enjoyed Amy Simetz or C-Metz, however you say it. Actors are beyond reproach. But they that, did a that, great that, job. That there was a thought from the beginning of here's some here's some deaths we're going to show. Um, you made me think about that for the first time. I, I that that I don't I don't think that could necessarily be wrong. All
2: okay. right. Um. Well, to my point. Thank you, uh, Doc. To my point, uh, Written By only has one one credit.
1: I could have sworn I saw that because, like I said, I watched the credits trying to look for that you know, damn song. Uh, it's,
2: it, there's no Eli Roth presence on the credit. Uh, I, I did a, a, a quick check. Um, yeah, it does make you think – Uh, did
1: we get... Dude, I'm looking at it right here. The sacrament screenplay, Ty West and Eli Roth. On what? What are you looking at? No,
3: hold, hold on, hold on, guys. Let's not get hung up on what the actual credits are. No, it's
2: because okay. I have to be right, Doc. I have to be right. Con- no, no, just,
3: or-
2: I'm I, I, sorry. I'm sorry. I want to know what Todd is looking at because I'm, I'm looking at IMDb and –
3: Basically. I don't care. I, I think that the 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 supposition that there were conversations that were had beforehand about what they wanted to do put on screen. I don't really care what the actual credit says afterwards. There there could have been planning going on beforehand about, and maybe we're wrong. I just I never thought of it that way when when Tut saying, these are deaths. The 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 throat slitting, the immolation the the eating the bullet that don't really jibe with the whole swelling the kool-aid that there could have been some thought about we're gonna show this maybe we're wrong but it's an interesting point that tup brings up and i think
1: it's but in, in in fairness the father i mean jim jones did eat a bullet he didn't drink the kool-aid
3: I, I, don't, I don't think it matters who's credited with the screenplay. I mean, conversation. No,
1: oh, oh, no, I was saying that historically, if the no, because, but, like I said, it was a note for note retelling of Jonestown. Jim correct. Jones shot himself. He didn't drink the Kool-Aid with the rest Cor- of them.
2: Correct. Um But uh, yeah, um, but like Doctor said, uh, Eli Roth had nothing to do with the screen. screen no, play. he
1: he did. I'm pretty sure I saw it in the credits. And then when I Googled screenplay The Sacrament the first thing that came up was Ty West and Eli Roth
2: okay well if you go to imdb Todd, uh writer there's one they credit. can be wrong there's one credit um but okay i don't think this film was made to showcase a bunch of special effects um i i i think the filmmaker Ty West saw an opportunity to Delve into an actual real event and explore it from a horror standpoint, a horror filmmaking standpoint, which everything, the Powers Booth film, everything that had been done before had been very documentary, uh, very not fictionalized. And, uh, I, I personally think he did it very good, but let's finish the film. Uh, Jake heads over to the father's cabin where the old man has Sam tied up, the journalist. Father sits laid back in his chair and waxes some more fancy words about giving the community all he could, including a way out. They were going to change the world. Eden Parish was only the beginning. Why couldn't you just leave us alone? He asked the man. We actually get asked that question a lot more interviewing folks for the Cigar Podcast. Uh, Why couldn't you just leave us alone? Um, But because we're hard-hitting cigar media, we we can't leave these guys alone. The father blames Sam and Jake for all of this. They're responsible for all this death, not him. None of those people had to die, Jake yells. Everybody dies, friends. And Greater love hath no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. That's John fifteen thirteen. Are you guys taking notes here on friendship? Yes.
1: Actually, we just got a Simon Voris. Wait, Vor, not Vories. It's spelled Simon C Y M E N. Vorher's V-O-R-H-E-E-R-S, says, hi from Australia. And I said, hi from Texas.
2: And you're still wrong, Ted.
1: I'm not wrong. Eli Roth wrote this damn thing with Ty West. Keep going.
2: I, there's, there's no. Nothing. I just
1: wanted to give a shout out to our Australian dude. Actually, good morning. fucking voting, cool. Uh,
3: good Monday that is morning. Correct. You're in Australia, Simon.
2: I did did do a search quickly on Google. Tut is correct. What?
1: Eli Roth was part of the screenplay because he wanted to showcase death and gore.
2: Movie writer, both Ty West and Eli Roth pop up.
3: Thanks for joining, Simon. I hope everything is well there down under. Google
1: wouldn't lie to us. This is why you don't want Tut doing research because Tut digs up the facts.
2: I won't go that far, but we'll, we'll, we'll stick with
1: Cody. Cab. Back.
2: Now. Helicopter. Cody. History will be kind to of my uh, take on this film. Uh, you guys taking notes here?
0: No. I have a pen.
2: This old fucker is crazy, the father, but that doesn't mean all his ideas are cuckoo. Especially his ideas about friends. And then the father leans over, does a line of cocaine, before pulling out a revolver and blowing some brains wait, out. Wait, no, Kate style. style, which I can totally get right now. He eats oh, that bullet. Have to do hey,
3: cocaine? Hey, hold on. Yeah, you wish.
1: Dude, if you're doing cocaine, the worst you would do is clean up the around the corner. No hope. You're not shooting yourself.
2: My only Yeah, but what I really like is the fact that he does that coke and it literally has zero effect. <laughs> my, <laughs> only, my only problem whatsoever with the scene was that the fat elderly father sat there unarmed during this entire time, and I didn't get why Jake filming him didn't bum rush. Him bum rush him. I know. And take and just take him out. Just punch him out. Well, my problem is, is they go to a place that has guys with AK-47s. I'm sorry, they didn't have a secret conversation off to the side with their camera rolling the whole time? As Jake, They're like, As I saw they- only two guards with guns. We can take them. As Jake from State Farm or Jake from Vice Media is filming this guy with nothing – it's an old fat. Brush that fucking fat, I was dude. waiting for him to it's just use fat. the camera to bludgeon him to death. <laughs> he's in
1: as, exactly, he's in his late and trust me, I've lifted that Panasonic or Sony Z five U. You can use that as a bludgeoning weapon. It's
2: an old fat guy doing coke. You could just run over there, punch him out. End of story. He just I dance. mean honestly, I don't know why Jake didn't say that. If you move, I'm going to beat you to death with my camera. No, the father pulls out. a Booty style. The father pulls out a giant ass fucking revolver, which. But took- I also want to point out, you know, we've seen the the compound, and we've seen their buildings. Somehow they found this building that apparently has a 30 foot gap in it between him and the where the father is <laughs> sitting. I'm like, no, they didn't build giant buildings. They don't have that. These were simple. These were simple folk. The I'm just fact saying that there was somehow a 30-yard gap at this point. I won't be able to reach him before he gets a gun.
1: I'm just saying I'm with Cade. You could you could bum rush this dude and bum
2: rush that dude, knock It's over cocaine straw out of his nose and just beat him into a fucking pulp. At this point, he's a bad guy. Well, he's in his late
1: 60s. You could probably bum rush him, do a line of coke, and then beat him up for the gun. But
2: he doesn't. He just waits for him to shoot him, and he doesn't. He just pulls out the gun and blows his fucking brains out.
3: It'll waste the coke.
2: Which is another
3: really It'll good special coke. effect shot.
1: Oh, it's a great special effect shot. The aftermath of this shot. Now, i you know, I'll give Eli Roth shit about just being for the gore. I think that that I'm. I i should not say this. I shouldn't say this, but fuck it, I'm going to. I think Eli Roth has got his history because of the gore. I mean, he's just a gore specialist. And uh, my big, uh, my big pet peeve is just showing gore for gore. But in this movie, the gore was all in context. It was even the stuff that I disagree with. It was all shot in context, so it's hard to be like, "Hey, it's just Eli Roth in it." But man, this scene, even the the throat slit scene, the self immolation was beautiful the way it was shot. Uh, And this scene was a masterpiece in all of the just all of the swallowing the bullet shots. This thing was just nasty. And not only that, because, like, you know, you think back to the Godfather scene where you got the, the brain splattered across the wall. This shows the aftermath with the blood dripping out of the nose. It was just gory and
2: beautiful. Am I wrong? No, I'm not. I think you're wrong that Eli Roth had anything to do with this movie. I think he cut a check and lended his name to this thing and and the film. It's on
1: the fucking screenplay.
2: No, this has Eli Ross thumbprint all over it. I haven't seen anything that led me to believe that he had anything to do with the screenplay. That was something you guys said, but I'm going to go fake news. Uh,. Which one's the so,
1: live Robert or Siskel?
2: Eagle? Eager?
1: Robert? So Sam and Jake. Homie. Cody's actually holding it up right now on the <laughs> screenplay, screenplay. Ty West, Eli Roth.
0: <laughs> the day is
2: mine. On IMDb, it lists one writer. That's it's true. One. And that's I... what I said. I looked it up. So. While it does say that Eli Roth on this thing from the search on Google, I'm probably gonna, st- I will probably stick with Cade. IMDb is usually pretty good on their stuff.
1: But it was, it was listed in the screenplay on the credits. It, on the credits, it was listed. No, Eli I don't... Roth in the screenplay.
2: I really don't think it was. Um... Doc is cashed out.
3: He's... Uh-huh. He's oh wait, there, there He's he is. There. Are you
2: happy? Doc is dead. Doc,
3: what happened? We're still talking about the goddamn credits? Doctor. No, 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 no. We're back, We're back on the gunshot. We're back on the gunshot. I don't have any cocaine here, for crying out loud.
0: So oh, the,
1: our argument over the credits is, like, our Australian so say, guy said, fuck you cocaine. guys, I'm out of here. Yeah, he should. Are you happy now, Cade?
2: Yes. The father is dead. The boys are released, and here's where we go. Sam and Jake haul major ass across the Paris towards the main road. Only thing is, an armed guard who's still walking around Ramley shooting anyone on the ground who might be not dead yet or faking it, he spots the journalists. But before he can shoot them, his partner, the other guard, takes him out. He tells the journalist, get to the chopper as he's going to burn the whole place to the ground. So from up in the air... And
1: that's why you needed that other scene in the forest chasing Jake, the cameraman, that I was like, hey, at this point, you're a guy with an AK-47, you know what your job is. But you actually needed that guy to pull this scene off.
2: You needed that guy in the forest to be like, why are we doing this again? Yeah. That's good screenwriting. I gotcha. Which doesn't come from me, Roth. We cut... (laughs) From up in the air, the boys look down at the clearing from the helicopter. There's nothing to see now but dead bodies as a large fire begins to pour smoke out of the pavilion. We cut to title cards, which inform us that 167 people died at Eden Parish. One of the largest mass suicides in record history, and Sam and Jake were the only survivors. The end. Hey, fellas. Speaking of Eden Parish, where else is there a lot of parishes? Louisiana. You're right, Tut. Louisiana. And what cigar hails from the state of Louisiana? The Pappy Van Winkle. That is right. Of course, we're talking about the Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve Bell Fermented Cigar by Drew Estate. The Padre Winkle Family Reserve Barrel Fermented is a long filler premium cigar rolled in limited quantities at La Grande Fabrica Drew Estate in Esteli, Nicaragua. Yak boy, don't you wish we were back there right now? You
3: yeah. shooting hoops? Yeah, we really do.
2: Shooting hoops. Shooting hoops. <laughs> Showing the kids how it's done. Meat barrel fermentation is the key process that makes this expression vastly different from anything else on the market. Hand-selected leaves from Kentucky are packed into small torquettes or bundles of tobacco, for those of you who have not been to Cigar Safari, which are then loaded strategically into oak bourbon barrels. Water's then added. While well, immense pressure is applied to the torquettes via railroad jacks, not jumping jacks, not car jacks. Not... Well, that's the only... No. God, no, j- doctor. Railroad jacks. The tobacco is removed two, three times per year, shaken out, then repacked. The total process of fermentation takes 12 to 18 months. That's more than baking a baby in your fucking oven, leaving a truly unique... Flavor profile and aroma. The Peppy Van Winkles Family Reserve Barrel Fermented is now available at brick and mortar, Drew Diplomat resellers everywhere. And if you'd like to smoke the unique pig size Vitola of the Peppy, head over to pappygo.com where the sisters will graciously let you buy that cigar. It's the only place you will find it at pappygo.com. Woohoo! let's talk about the acting I thought A.J. Bowen and Joe Swanberg did an excellent job as the vice journalists they came across very naturally as close friends who had been through some shit together and I completely bought them in their roles They they convey their close history without ever really talking about it which is on film that's great when you can just get a bond without having to give us some kind of backstory to it. I wonder if that's because they've
1: done so many projects. Like you I said, this is. is
2: a circle that's
1: done yeah. a lot of projects yeah, together. Good.
2: But I believed it. I believe these guys knew each other and they'd done some things. Amy, Amy Seamitz or Simitz or whatever the hell her name is, was a revelation to me as Caroline. I thought her sober, peaceful, hippie chick vibe, 100 percent. I bought it as well as when she goes apeshit, frantic, psycho bitch at the end. And I bought all the subtle transformation she undertakes in between. She was brilliant. Loved it. And obviously, as we mentioned earlier, Gene Jones as the father is simply terrific. And I think his performance alone is reason to watch this movie. If you're a...
1: If I was sober enough if to stand up and if clap, if you're I not would. Becoming
2: an actor, you need to watch this movie because this, this is acting 101. You need to. watch Jones and was so are, good. And, if and, and, and if this movie wasn't a horror movie, he would have won awards for this. Well, he did get a nomination from Fangoria for their Chainsaw Award for this. Again. Oh, really? Again, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if this wasn't a horror movie, he would have gotten like real awards, not Fangoria awards. Well. Huh. Hey,
1: some mention's better than no mention.
3: Agree. Well acted by everyone. Everyone's phenomenal. Let me put movie.
1: it to you this way: at least this, at least Gene Jones got a uh, a nod from Fangoria. That dude who played the sidekick in uh, uh, Bone Tomahawk, he didn't even get mentioned for best acting. Of, uh, he got beat out by Stallone in, in Apollo. Again. I'm still t-
2: bitter about that. Again, Tut. I we drank so much. I don't remember Bone Tom Hawk. I, I think we did a show on it, but I don't know what you're talking about. He
1: was like the best supporting actor of all time.
2: Oh yeah. Oh oh yeah. That guy.
3: Yeah, he was good.
1: Did you and want to all wait, to about Richard? King, all so- of, this, all of, that- of this stuff, and I don't remember <laughs> his name.
3: Wrap it up. I got to drink EMC to finish up for Ben. Fuck you,
1: Doc. I'm gonna I'm gonna ramble all I want. The complicated. Wait, I'm sorry, Doc. You're 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 absolutely right. (laughs)
3: All I gotta do, Tut, is do this. Don't do
2: it. No, don't do it, Doctor. The complicated yet pretty perfectly minimalistic musical score is performed by the prolific Tyler Bates. Dude, this guy would go on to do the uh, Marvel Guardians of the Galaxy movie scores. Like, this is a big, a big deal guy. Um, I thought it worked amazingly well throughout the film. My only complaint was the music was far too foreboding when we first watched The Father, like I said. But that's not on the composer. That's on the director for letting that music go in at that moment. Okay. Um, that's not, that's not the composer's fault. Um, up to that point everything seems so positive and up and up within the community the music as he approaches the crowd it just seemed like we should have had that change as an audience member and not given to it with the music but the director chose to give us that change of tone with the music The action the action itself, the narrative, should have made that tunnel switch. Um, but that's that's on the director, the slash editor, not the composer. I like I like the music as a whole in this film a lot. Um and speaking of editing, I wanna give the director, Ty West, for his job editing the film some props because I thought it was expertly paced. We didn't linger anywhere too long or indulge in any moment that didn't deserve to be indulged upon. And I, I want to point that out because a lot of times when a director ed- edits his own films, he tends to dwell on precious moments that he thinks are important as a, you know, I captured this and it's great and there really aren't it ends up hurting the film. But dude, this guy kept the film moving at a great pace, especially at the halfway point when things went bonkers he kept the shit moving constantly and i get if you shot the shit and you're editing it i thought he did a really good job of putting piecing together a really great movie
1: according to the amazon trivia he cut out 45 minutes of backstory i know that's that's, that's admirable
2: that's admirable. The fact that he, if he cut out 45 minutes and made this the fast paced thing that he is, that's admirable. It's tough to do. Especially when you're the director and you get attached to these moments. It's your baby. And these little things, you're like, I can't lose that. I can't lose that, that, that moment. Dude, the last half of this movie just fucking rocks and it moves and it, it's so well paced and when you're the director and you're also cutting the film I like it. I don't care what Ted says.
1: I didn't say anything.
2: I saw you smirking. Alright boys. Um, for our big religious episode I think we uh, found some discoveries tonight. I agree.
1: This is a good flick to discuss. Oh, I, th- I definitely enjoyed the discussion. Enjoyed the movie as well. Me too.
0: Uh, I got well, a
1: lot of problems with it. I got some. I don't. I don't agree about the second half, but I still like it. I, I would suggest people watch it.
2: I do too. Uh, but let's start at the beginning. It all started with the beers. Uh, Tut, your beer was. Cocoa, Man, I dude, cocoa the, nibs the, heavy, the cocoa
1: it, nibs of the slipping into darkness. I'm gonna I'm gonna go, even though I was skeptical at first and I didn't like it at the first deal, the first shock was like, ugh, this sucks. Oh wait, this is good. And then of course, you know, four into a ten point five ABV. Oh, this is a great beer.
2: Yeah. And it played well with the cigar.
1: It played great with the cigar.
2: Yak Boy, your jalapeno beer, the jalapenos died down and you felt like you got what the cigar had to give you without any kind of interference, correct? Yes, I liked it. The, Like I said, palate got acclimated, so that jalapeno kind of disappeared. So it just became a really solid IPA. I, I'm, I can't complain about that, but brimstone. Worked beautifully with it. I don't think they conflicted. I don't think they hit anything. No, this this cigar that this cigar that can play uh, with anything you throw at it. I think because uh, I had triple triples full of flavors and it played beautifully with it. Um, so we are three thumbs up on the cigar.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
2: Um, great profile. From start to finish, great construction. Uh, Love the thing. If
1: you don't retrohale, start to retrohale. Because like I said, you're missing out 50% of the flavor of this cigar. And it's worth it. As a guy who didn't like retrohaling when I first started, learn to embrace it.
2: That earth, that coffee, everything is so enjoyable. But when you blow it out your nose, it just brings it all home. Um, Tut, give us some links.
1: All right. So you want to join us on Twitter at TNCCcast. You want to hit us up on Instagram at TNCC underscore podcast. Uh, nationally, join us on Facebook Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Please, 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 James Brown. Please, 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 not the cigar maker but the singer please 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 uh subscribe to us on youtube tuesday night cigar club that way you can see all of our funny xantics or antics uh in time in person and then guess what if you want to buy some of the brimstone from southern draw you can go to tuesday night cigar club click on the famous smoke shop banner that will automatically enter the promo code tncc20 for you so you don't even have to do anything Do your shopping from there. You'll get $20 off of a purchase of $100 or more. That is the same as 20%. That's pretty damn good. By the way, uh, we got Christmas coming up. If you want to go to Tuesday Night Cigar Club, click on the Amazon banner from there. Do your shopping. It doesn't cost you anything, and it will give us a little bit of a kickback, and we can keep the lights on here. I think that's everything.
2: I think that is everything. Um, I I joked about it earlier, but we do have a new president, boys. President Woo-hoo! Biden. I'm excited uh, about getting a new face into the White House. And I'm
1: excited about getting a president that I don't hear from every day.
2: Yet. Yet. That old, that old fucker's not tweeting anybody. Um, well, prove me wrong. Uh,
1: but Doc's, Doc's grabbing his temples.
2: It's running towards 1 a.m., boys. Yeah, Doc's got to get out of here. All right, let's do this. Um, I'm thankful that we have a new president. Finally, we'll announce it. Hey, Fox News announced it. CNN announced it. Now we're going to get a new president. See how this goes. Um, Welcome to the shit show, boys and girls. But despite the shit show... We can only hope one thing. And what is that, boys and girls?
1: That there's more beer.
2: You will be. we need a lot more beer. But all we can hope for inherently is that when it's all said and done, whoever is in charge and they're all fucking whatever. May the wings of liberty I'm with you, Tut. <laughs> Tut's giving so many hand signals here. I can keep up with it. Thumbs down, jacking off. I, I don't know what to do. So I'll just say this. The Tuesday Night Cigar Club is 100% in favor of the Wings of Liberty never losing a feather. Ever.
1: I have a real positive feeling about
3: this.
2: I do too. I'm really centered. I'm really centered. Needs more ground-up seahorse. I
3: got a 16 in bag. May the wings of
2: liberty never lose a feather. When no one else is here for you, we will be in two weeks. That's what we do. Sign our motherfuckers. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Hang in there. Be strong. Be safe. Talk to you later. Bye. Ooh.
0: More about the time I got lured into a religious cult, sold all my belongings, and moved to Honduras only to find out that the leader wanted to chop off my ding-dong and give me a bowl-cut hairdo. Well, I quickly tucked my sacred serpent between my legs and hightailed it back to the states. Nobody takes a pair of scissors to my ding-dong or my beautiful thick locks. I gotta tell you folks, I have lived one hell of an exciting life. Anywho, to learn more about the cigars enjoyed on tonight's episode, you can visit www.southerndrawcigars.com. For more on O'Brien's Irish Pub, the live music leader in Central Texas, please visit O'Briensimple.com and download their free smartphone app where you'll find full beer listings including over 40 on tap, menu information, and a calendar of upcoming live events. To listen and purchase music heard on tonight's program, check out www.fritzbeermusic.com. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club Podcast. This is Keith A. Howell saying until next time, friends, unless we see you sooner at the pub. So keep it smoky. And for God's sake, keep it ballsy as well.